Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that does for comic book movies what Hugh Jackman does for white vests. (laughs) <laughs> I'm Seb Patrick, and joining me to be the best at what we do, but what we do isn't very nice, are... James Hunt. And Caroline Sita. Caroline, you're back again. I am. All, I'm just your Wolverine regularly popping up in your universe. <laughs> Gonna have my own spin-off soon. <laughs> Finally. It takes the pressure <laughs> off us. I genuinely think people would look forward to that. Yes, so this time around, we will discuss the latest comic book movie and TV news, which we haven't done for a good few weeks, uh, before diving into our spoiler-filled discussion of James Mangold's 2013 film, The Wolverine, getting in ahead of the trend for putting the in front of the name of the character in comic book movies. But before any of that, Caroline, since you're back again, and since we're still trying to educate you in the mysterious world of of comic book characters and such like, uh, do you have a concept that you would like myself and James to explain? I do. And I think this probably would have come up in our discussion of the movie anyway, but I'm just curious about Wolverine's connection to Japan and Japanese culture. (laughs) I'll be honest, that was like my first question point for James in the main discussion of the film. But let's do it here because it's a nice little lead in and teaser to the film. It'll it'll just cut about 10 minutes out of the actual discussion of the film itself. 10 minutes, 30 minutes, you know, whatever we get. (laughs) It could keep going for a while. Okay, so the the short version is back in the days when Wolverine was still a sort of new and, you know, uh, mysterious character, they decided to do a little mini-series where he went to Japan and it turned out that this guy who had previously been a sort of like cocky anti-authoritarian thug turned out to have uh, the soul of a samurai and was very into honor and you know the the rituals associated with Japanese culture turns out Wolverine is like the original weeb <laughs> uh and I think I can't remember who it came from I imagine it was uh, Chris Claremont and Frank Miller. Yes. Who added, yeah, added this dimension to the character. And then over the years, it's become a sort of thing that, like, oh, Wolverine has to fight a bunch of ninjas. I read that apparently Claremont and Miller were actually like in a taxi, uh, like going out to dinner or something, having been at a convention, um, when they basically chatted about what shall we do with Wolverine. Um, so I don't know which of the two of them specifically went, let's go down the Japanese ninja ronin route. I mean, you kind of feel like it's definitely going to have been an interest of Miller's, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was something that Claremont wanted to do as well. Cause yeah, it's Chris of... Claremont has not shied away from it. Yeah. Neither of them have, to be fair. So 
And in your view, does it kind of does it work for Wolverine? I mean, that's from the point of obviously we're looking at it from the point of view of um, thirty, nearly forty years later, where it's such a, a, a defined and integral part of Wolverine's character. It's hard to imagine him without it. But um, I mean, do you see it as one of the things that that did kind of start to go towards making Wolverine who he actually is? Uh, I think in a way because it it definitely added to the character this sort of extra dimension where. Like I say, previously he'd just been a kind of, you know, annoying guy who wouldn't listen to the other X-Men who did his own thing, was sort of not very nice. And then this, like his thing was that he was a sort of hair's breadth away from all out animalistic rage. And then to add this to the character that he he's actually got like a lot of self-control and, you know, the ability to respect the sort of combat rituals and stuff that it did add something to the character. Then that's probably why it stuck around. Whether it's a good thing or not is debatable. There's a lot of, there's a weird sense of appropriation and sort of uh, mm. outsider uh, exoticism of Japan inherent in it. And I think that's something this movie doesn't really uh, address very well either. But, you know, on it, on its own terms, it's something that has stuck around because it is, it does work, yeah. And it does give you the opportunity to have Wolverine, who is a character who has knives for hands, frequently fight people with knives. So <laughs> yeah, as opposed kind of to natural the thing guns as that he would yeah, exactly. in America. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so send him to America, and he's just going to get shot all the time. But send him <laughs> to Japan, and yeah, he can he can fight people with knives. Are is X Men a very like inter- like are they frequently going all over the world? Is that a frequent trope of the comics? That's a very good question, and yes, they are. Specifically, the the version of the team that Wolverine was introduced in was designed to be an international team of X-Men. So you had Nightcrawler, who's from Germany, and Colossus, who's from uh, Russia, Banshee, who's from Ireland, Wolverine, um, ba- ba- from Canada. Banshee, who's from Ireland, I think. Or, yeah, Ireland. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it was designed at that point to be an international superhero team. And, you know, for a while, that was almost its defining aspect. Mm-hmm. Was that they were the the guys who didn't stick around New York? They went all over the the world in search of adventure, and that you know, that tradition's carried on, I think, as well. Yeah, it's interesting because it is. I guess that's the benefit of the mutant like idea of mutants. They can just be everywhere. You can, yeah, you know, can you don't really need to, like. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, because the the you know the the superhero is kind of an inherently American concept, and while you do get obviously international superheroes, they are all still spins on an American concept. But like you say, it's sort of you know, so you can imagine a world where in America people choose to be superheroes and and fight crime because that's what you do. But um, with mutants, it's like yeah, mutants can be anywhere. So you know, what do you do if you're a mutant? Well, you you become an X Men or you or you join the Brotherhood. So um yeah it's sort of that it, there is that kind of natural possibility for people to want and it sort of means as well you have that where you have that race to sort of win over new mutants wherever they might be found mm-hmm. you know again you've got sort of um charles and eric sort of trotting the globe trying to win people over to their cause yep <laughs> james is silent i thought he might have something to add there but that either means it was a good point or a really bad no point. it was a it was a good point well made <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, we we will get into uh, obviously how that stuff with Wolverine from the comics lines up with the film when we discuss it. I say I am disappointed that I've been denied the opportunity to introduce James as our, our resident X Men and Wolverine expert and our resident weeb, but yeah, you know, <laughs> past that now. 
Um, but yeah, so before we crack on with talking about the film in more detail, let's look at some of the latest news. As I say, it has been a kind of a few weeks because on our last episode uh, on our Adams Family Halloween special, we chose not to cover any, and then we didn't do a Minnesota since either. Uh, but there have been some pretty big things breaking, whether it's kind of actual confirmed news or, or rumor and speculation. Um, this first one, I think, kind of falls somewhere between the two. It's sort of um, the way things have gone with the casting on the Batman so far is that when something gets gets rumored heavily by the trade press, it kind of comes true very quickly afterwards. So I think we can take both of these names. If these names are coming up in the places that they're coming up, I think we can assume that they are very close to, if not at the end of negotiations to join this. Um, so the first one is that um, after Jonah Hill, who was widely reported as being in the running to play the Penguin, um, the kind of the third villain, and I am going to say villain in inverted commas because I don't think that's I don't think they'll be using Catwoman as a villain in this. Um, but Jonah Hill was was in the running to play the Penguin but dropped out and now looks to be on the verge of, of being, well, not replaced because he never had it, but the, but the next name in the frame is Colin Farrell, which is a direction, <laughs> isn't it? A real um, natural follow-up. It's like, oh, we couldn't get Jonah. Yeah. Get Colin in here. They're basically the same. <laughs> um, I mean, James, I've, I've got to assume that, like me, because I know that In Bruges is one of your favourite films, so yes. presumably you must quite like Colin Farrell uh, for that, if nothing else. I'm a big fan of Colin Farrell in many of his incarnations. Uh, I like his guest appearance on Scrubs. I like him as Bullseye in Daredevil, and I assume he's been in other things as well. <laughs> So what do you make of this? Colin Farrell as, as Oswald Cobblepot? Again, it's a, it's a real choice, isn't it? I can only assume they've got something planned with that. I'm happy to see it. We've got no strong opinions on the Penguin, really. I'm just excited to see what accent he's doing, to be honest. <laughs> you, can ne- you can never really tell with him, can you? No, quite. You, you never know what you're going to get. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I, I don't think we are looking at, and I think even with, with Jonah Hill, if you bear in mind what, what Jonah Hill looks like these days compared with what Jonah Hill looked like in the kind of early to mid 2000s, uh, you know, we're, we're not looking at a sort of a Danny DeVito style penguin here. Um, and I think Gotham has already sort of paved the way for a cobble pot who isn't the kind of traditional, you know, massively rotund uh, version of the character. Um but yeah, it's it's one of those where until you know what they're actually doing with these characters, it's hard to make too much of a judgment. The way I would assume that they would play the Penguin is in his kind of relatively more recent, and again, I think Gotham, from what I know of it, went down this direction, the kind of the crime lord angle. Um, so, you know, he's he's more of a kind of a shadowy mob boss with a kind of legitimate businessman's front rather than just, a, you know, a cartoonish uh, fish obsessed, umbrella obsessed. A literal uh, penguin. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that, that angles all kind of generally work quite well, because what, what I like with the way the penguin gets played a lot in the comics, um, he's quite like sniveling and sort of and cowardly and because he, he you know he's the kind of villain who um batman will will break into you know his club or whatever it is and smash the place up um and he'll be a sort of combination of affronted because hey i'm a legitimate businessman i'm not doing anything wrong and absolutely terrified and sort of often back down quite easily as well as sort of you know as a villain being you know sort of potentially quite uh well you know kind of villainous and 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 violent and all the rest of it um he, there, there's quite yeah there, there's quite nice angles with him where 
um you know he's not just your kind of your straight up kind of hard-edged psychopath type character so you know he's not black mask he's a he's a different kind of mob boss character to that as far as as far as the gotham characters go so again that when, when i think about it in those terms i think you know yeah i could i could see colin farrell doing that i absolutely adore colin farrell and will happily watch him in anything so i'm excited on that level i still think just the like jonah hill and colin farrell they're just such different type. They're different ages. Like, you know what I mean? There's like almost mm. a decade difference there, I think. Mm-hmm. Jonah is obviously so much more known for comedy. And I don't know there. It's just like fascinating to me that you could have these two such different actors. Like, it makes me very <laughs> curious what the role will be like. And I'm <laughs> yeah. also fascinated. Yeah. It, it makes it really hard to get a handle on that, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. Yeah, completely. And I don't think Colin Farrell, maybe because, and like, to be fair, my knowledge of Penguin is mostly associated with Danny DeVito. But even so, like, I could sort of see Jonah Hill doing something that feels more, like, comedic or at least somewhat yeah. in line with that. And I just mm. don't think of Colin, you know what I mean, like, in that same category at all, mm. which could be really cool. I'm also fascinated by how many characters are in this film. Like, yeah. for some reason, I was thinking we were getting more of, like, a Batman Begins really just focused on Bruce Wayne's story but clearly this you know they're they're kicking off with a wide world right well they're, they're kicking off with three out of the four villains from Batman 66 where we're only lacking the Joker but otherwise we've got Catwoman Penguin and the Riddler <laughs> um so yeah it's I mean as I say I I would suspect that um it's not just going to be the case that we're going to have all three of these in the way that they are in Batman 66, where it's just, hey, we formed a club of villains and here's our big villainous plot. Um, I think of the three of them, my expectation would be that the the main kind of villain, in the sense that you would expect to see it in a Batman film, of the film would be the Riddler, played by Paul Dano. Um, I, I would expect to see Selina Kyle much more in that kind of uneasy ally role with Batman mm-hmm. um which actually you know I think and we maybe talked about this a bit when Zoe Kravitz was cast in the first place I think it's even a stretch to call Catwoman a Batman villain I think it's been long enough I mean basically ever since year 1 if not maybe before I don't think you've ever had portrayals of Catwoman since then in the comics and even really in in the films uh where she has where you could call her a villain yes she is a thief um, but it, her alignment is almost always with Batman, even if, you know, they will disagree over the fact that she's a thief and he's a crime fighter. Um, she's not the Joker or the Riddler or the Penguin. She's never got a big scheme that's going to involve killing lots of people. Um, so as I say, I, I think it's a bit of a misnomer to call Catwoman a villain anyway. I would just call her a supporting character in this film. Or like a uh, love interest, probably, as I yeah. feel like how the movies tend to use her at least. Yeah. And again, which, you know, in comics of late, um, the comics, you know, the, the Tom King run on Batman has leaned more heavily into that. You know, they, they have been actively out and out a couple. Uh, they nearly got married. They split up. They are now where things currently stand, where it looks to be heading is... Uh, given the rumours about what's going to happen with Bruce Wayne as Batman at the end of Tom King's run, um, that he may well retire for a while um, and and they'll be together for a while. Also, they are launching a Batman and Catwoman series off the back of it. So, um, yeah, as I say, I, I think we're a long way past Catwoman being kind of villain with a capital V. 
Um, and I, I think Penguin would probably work better in that kind of shadowy background role, whereas Riddler is more likely here's the new threat who he's got to mm -hmm. take on. But we don't know. We know so little about what this film is doing. Um, and as far as supporting characters and kind of surprise acting choices go, uh, this one I think is still more in the kind of rumour rather than being close to confirmed. But apparently we're looking at Andy Serkis to be the seventh or eighth simultaneous Alfred Pennyworth that we're going to have on screen <laughs> at the moment. Uh, I've genuinely <laughs> lost track of all the Alfreds, um, but uh, here's another one for the pile, and it's Andy Serkis. Um, what do you think about that? Again, <laughs> at this point, why not, right? I mean, he seems I, a little bit young, you know, doesn't he? Um, I mean, it kind of depends how you're going to play him. I mean, he's how much, yeah. old, how much older than... <laughs> he'll be a he'll be motion captured a CGI old person. <laughs> yeah. He's fifty-five years old, by the way. I just looked it up. I guess I'm just so I really like I watched all those those nineties Batman, you mm. know, the, that was like my real intro. So I really think of Alfred. Like that guy was pretty old, right? I really think of Alfred as Yeah, being Michael Goff, yeah. Very old. Which I guess most recent versions haven't played him that way. Mm. I mean it's as much. It feels like now if they're doing Alfred, and I think, again, we talked about this before, they, they always feel like they have to have someone who could have been a special forces agent previously. It's like that mm. is the firmly part of Alfred now, which, to be honest, Andy Serkis doesn't really scream that to me. You know, he's he's kind of little. Um, I, I absolutely love Andy Serkis. I mean, I, I, on various previous episodes, we talked about how much we like him, not just for his motion capture stuff. And again, I think something we talked about is how um, the fact that he's gone into the motion capture stuff so heavily while while he's been a pioneer of that has been a bit of a loss because of how good he is just as an actor when you see him as a human. So if he's, you know, just just the fact that he's being cast in this, you know, as himself, presumably not as a CGI character, although it would be hilarious if they were CGIing <laughs> the classic kind of bald uh, pencil moustache Alfred from the comics onto him. Um, that's good, but it's just, it's again, it's one where I feel like until we get more of a sense of what they're doing, your brain kind of has to make a bit of a leap to see this. So... Um, yeah, it's it's definitely file under, hmm, interesting, but wait and see, rather than, oh, wow, I'm incredibly excited about that, as much as I like Andy Serkis and I'm, you know, pleased to see him in a Batman film. Yeah, agreed. Nothing else to add there? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have no strong opinions about Alfred. Oh, so. but James, we've talked about so many Alfreds on this podcast, you must have strong opinions on him by now. The, the thing that this makes me think of is the joke in the Teen Titans Go movie, where they were talking about having an Alfred spinoff. Yeah. Which has now happened, Pennyworth, yep. which has already got a season two. Um, what? The, the, yeah, the trailer for Pennyworth season one came on my Amazon <laughs> Fire Stick a few weeks ago, and I nearly laughed out loud at it. Uh, but genuinely, um, it has got a series. Oh, my God. Also, I just have to read you the titles of the episodes of series one of Pennyworth. Okay. Um, although it's a bit weird because it starts off. Episode one is called Pilot. Episode two is called The Landlord's Daughter. Episode three is called Martha Kane. You know who Martha Kane is. <laughs> Episode four is called Lady Penelope. Episode five is called Shirley Bassey. Episode six <laughs> is called Scylla Black. Episode seven is called Julie Christie. Episode eight is called Sandy Shaw. Episode nine is called Alma Cogan. And episode ten is Marianne Faithful. Are we sure those aren't code names? <laughs> I think they might I be code know. names. Well, they are definitely titles of the episodes. 
<laughs> yeah, so that's Pennyworth, which, you know, as I say, has obviously been popular enough to justify a second season. Um, is it actually on? Is it actually showing on TV? Well, it's been, it, it, it's about, on, in the UK, it's on Amazon, and it has been on Epics in the US. What, what is Epics, Caroline? You know, I really couldn't tell. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it might be a cable channel. It is a cable channel, yes. Certainly, I do not have it. Or maybe I do, and I don't know. <laughs> Sounds like when you get into like the 600s or whatever on um, Sky TV. Yeah. You're just like, ah, they, these channels probably have viewers. Okay, but while we were talking, I w- got distracted because I was trying to figure out if Andy Serkis is younger <laughs> than previous Alfred. So there's a 22-year age gap between Andy and Robert Pattinson. Mm-hmm. But then between Christian Bale and Michael Caine, there's a 41-year age wow. gap. So it is like, mm. do you know what I mean? Like, Alfred is not... Unless Alfred started working there when he was like in his early twenties, he wouldn't have been around. It's for... a good point. I mean, he he needs to Alfred absolutely one hundred percent needs to have been the Wayne's Butler at the time of the Wayne's death. Uh, the whole thing falls apart if he's not right. Which I, which what Bruce is like ten or something, and he also needs to be old enough to be a surrogate father, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, now it could be that Andy Serkis is playing a younger version of him at an earlier point, maybe. Who knows? But yeah, the, you're right. That is, um, that's strange. Or just different. You know, maybe they are doing something drastically different. I've I've just been reminded of, and I'm, and I'm going to quote this because it's such a good uh, bit of writing. Very early on in Tom King's current Batman run, uh, it's a scene when Alfred is actually putting on a bat suit and getting into a batmobile to drive it in order to go and rescue bruce from somewhere and he's he's saying to himself uh well thomas allow me first to say what an honor it is to be asked for you possibly to entrust me with the care of master bruce well sir i am humbled but of course the need for such care will never arise it is not as if on some dark night you're going to you're just going to walk down crime alley with martha in her best (laughs) pearls that would be sigh absurd (laughs) <laughs> um, okay, further breaking news. Jeremy Irons is only 24 years older than Ben Affleck, so I wow. guess this is a similar <laughs> age breakdown. Also, age is a construct. Although, if you, looked at, if you looked at the two of them, you wouldn't think that. But True. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, so that's... Yeah, I mean, I, I suspect that we're probably thinking about this more than they will have. It's probably just the case that Andy Serkis will just be playing Alfred and maybe he'll just be playing him a little older and they won't really actually have given that much thought. It'll just... Yeah. Anyone can play any age, right? In this CGI age. If James Dean can come yeah, back from the unless dead. Unless you're a woman. Unless then you just go away. <laughs> yeah, so unless you're a woman past the age of 35, then yeah. you can play any age you want. Um, well, just before we move away from DC-related matters and that, that missing villain who I talked about earlier, um, it probably is just, just worth noting um, that apparently Joker is the most profitable comic book movie ever because that's apparently a thing now. Um, it basically seems to be a thing because it's meant that the kind of websites that were excited about Joker that then had to go a bit quiet when Joker got not great reviews in the kind of latter part of the critical run can now uh, kind of shout about it again because uh, most profitable job, which obviously appears to be based on on budget versus box office. Um, it's, yeah, it's the most profitable comic book movie ever. I mean, let's be fair. It, it's the Warner publicity department that has come up with this as a thing. Well, it's not like websites have been tracking it, right? It's it's Warner sent out a press release saying, like, 
hey, it's the most profitable. Have have Warner sent out a press release? The fact or, that we're talking or, about or, it I mean, suggests it, it that kind of, it depends where this started. Really, this could have started. No, I mean it could just be something. I mean, it feels to me like something that somebody on YouTube would have noticed and made a big deal out of. But um, it seems that Forbes was the first place to uh, to report on it from the looks of it. Um, wow, though it has it has made it to nine hundred fifty three million apparently. Yeah, it's definitely Sorry. doing well. It does feel like one of those, I mean, it is a goofy headline. You see that and like I certainly saw that and I was like, what? There's no way this is made more than mm. Avengers Endgame. And then you read the fine print and it's like, oh, compared to its budget. So yeah, whatever. I agree that even if it wasn't sent out as a press release, it certainly feels like a marketing tactic. <laughs> mm. As if they need more people to go and see yeah. it. Um, and Todd Phillips has also continued doing his bit for marketing it by... Um, uh, Todd Phillips is apparently uh, unaware of. Well, we talked about this when um, in the aftermath of um, Endgame. Was it aftermath of Endgame or aftermath of Infinity War? But basically, when um, the Russos couldn't shut up about things that they hadn't actually put in the film, and it's like if you don't put it in the film, you don't get to definitively say whether or not the film says it. Um, but Todd Phillips has given a definitive answer on the fate of uh, Zazie Beetz's character in the film. Um, because I think we discussed whether or not that was kind of intentionally ambiguous, mm-hmm. um, but Todd Phillips does not want you to think that that was intentionally ambiguous or that he might have been doing anything remotely clever with it. Um, so he has given what he says is a definitive answer, but um, and this is not just because I find Todd Phillips very annoying. I would argue heavily yeah, that and then he's not allowed to give a definitive what answer. What is the definitive he's answer? The person who had the power to give a definitive answer by putting it in the film <laughs> and then didn't. Um, We'll do it. Should we do a spoiler answer. alert for people who haven't seen Joker? <laughs> oh, if you haven't seen Joker now, you, you, <laughs> you probably don't care about spoilers. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, all right. You know, skip a minute or so ahead if you haven't seen Joker and you still want to. Uh, the definitive answer is that, is that he did not kill her because he only killed people who had wronged him. So, uh, yeah, probably Todd should have made that clear. That he was supposed to have murdered her. To be fair, that's what I had. That has I, That was what I thought. That's what I got from the movie, and I actually hadn't even occurred to me that he might have killed her until Joe said that. So I don't know really where that falls on this debate, but it wasn't. It didn't really come as a huge shock to me when he said that. Mm. I wonder if he'll give a definitive answer on the Thomas Wayne parentage or not next. Maybe he could give a definitive answer on how much of the film was outright fantasy. It would honestly just be it. great if he could give a definitive answer on if we are supposed to be asking a question about the parentage, because that part I still am unclear on if, if it was intentionally <laughs> ambiguous or not. Well, I mean, again, the way that the way that he responded to that question about Zazie Beetz, um, and, I, and I keep using the actress's name because I genuinely can't remember the character's name because that's that's how impactfully written she was. Um, I the way that he responded to that suggested to me that it had not occurred to him that people might take it ambiguously at all. His response was kind of, oh, people have come out and said this, but um, yeah, you know, that that's not something that ever occurred to us. So Yeah, so she was supposed to just sort of disappear for the entire final um, act. Yeah. She was supposed to just completely disappear from the narrative. Yeah. Um, that shows how much thought he, he put into it, really. Um yeah, let's let's stop bragging on it. It's a massively successful movie. Um, we all have to accept that now. Um, In fairness, right? The thing about Joker is it is an R-rated slash in the UK certificate eighteen movie, eighteen, fifteen. Still, it's an R-rated movie that has made almost a billion dollars. I think it was only fifteen in the, at the UK. box office, and that is something that we had yeah. been previously told was just not possible, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Mm. And it might yeah. win Oscars. <laughs> you know, like it is, yeah. it is certainly in the discussion about that kind of nominations and stuff. I mean, I do, I do feel that the box office is in part testament to the marketing and the way that the conversation around the film was drummed up for a long time beforehand, successfully. Um, but even so, yeah, you know, you have to credit for that. Yeah. Um, well, another... I'm trying to do one of these segue things, but another surprise... Not surprisingly successful, but maybe more successful than expected <laughs> film um, from the last year or so was Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Which uh, what was that? What was that box office on Into the Spider Verse? It was it was good for an animated, wasn't it? It was good for an animated. It was not good for a Marvel movie. It wasn't good for a Marvel movie, no. But it was uh, it hit three hundred seventy five million, which is which is decent for an animated Spider Man movie. It's about half what Amazing Spider Man two made. So you know, come on. Um, but anyway, I think Amazing Spider Man two. <laughs> well, quite most amazing of all the Spider Man <laughs> movies. Yeah, but Spider-Verse won all of our hearts, so who needs the box office? It does feel like a sequel will immediately go straight to the top of the charts with, you know, with the word of mouth of the first film and, like, the general reputation. People are going to know when the second one comes out. Oh, yeah, that first one was amazing and everyone loved it. I I think it's a film that will linger. I think it's a film that people will discover. I think it's... I really do think it's the kind of film that a lot of kids who didn't know weren't necessarily around to see it at the cinema when it first came out will see it as their first Spider-Man film. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it is a film that's going to have a kind of more of a lasting impact. And it is getting a sequel. Uh, that sequel has been announced. It's coming out on the 8th of April 2022. Um, that's almost half past It takes quite a while to make animated films. Although, to be honest, they should have started already, really. Uh, I presume they have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, people were so excited when this news broke, which I... I'm very excited to see the film, but my main reaction was like a bummer that it's going to take so long. Like that feels pretty far away. Yeah. My main, <laughs> my main reaction was, wow, I'll be almost 40. <laughs> <laughs> you won't be allowed in to see it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so obviously we're, we're all pleased about this. Aren't we? I mean, there's nothing else known about it other than the fact that uh, Christopher Miller did uh, was one of the people who tweeted the release date. So I think we can assume he's involved in at least some capacity, whether whether Lord and Miller are writing again. Um, we don't know. Whether it'll have the same directors, we don't know. I would actually guess the reason it's taking so long is mostly due to wait, them waiting for Lord and Miller's schedules to align. Because I can't think of any other reason not to be full steam ahead on it as quickly as possible. Could well be, yeah. Well, they could be, but it could also just be that it, as I say, you know... Very, very few cartoons are drawn live. It's a tremendous strain on the animator's wrists. So. <laughs> <laughs> I will say I was yeah. putting together my list of my 50 favorite films of the past decade and Spider-Verse was in the top 10 and is the only superhero movie on the list. So it deserved, it, it earned Ooh. a high, high praise in my Wow. Book. Not even Black Panther. No, that'd probably be in like the, I don't know, top 100 or something. But I feel like, I don't know, Spider-Verse to me, it just like really hit a sweet special spot of what the genre can do fair um james i don't know if you've looked at all the kind of the different logos that were in the reveal because it kind of it, it flickered through a bunch of different styled spider-man logos um okay no i didn't i i just i read the headline and oh, then right, okay. my life uh, I, don't, I, I was gonna wonder if you had any thoughts on whether any of these were hints at other spiders men who may appear uh, but obviously there are Reddit <laughs> threads breaking down a bunch of them. Um, th- 
You know, I assume for the sequel, they'll probably do something a bit closer to the actual Spider-Verse storyline that Dan Slott wrote. Well, it seems like at least one of the logos is probably Spider-Punk. Some of the other ones being listed here on Reddit. Uh, The the one that a lot of people seem to have pointed out is the the logo that looks very much like the logo for the Japanese series. Um, There's one that looks Mm -hmm. like it could be Superior Spider-Man, the Octavia Superior Spider-Man. Um, Silk could be in there. Uh, did I say Spider-Punk already? Yes. Yep. Uh, Captain Universe uh, and Bagman. So... Yeah, so all, all those characters are in the in the Spider-Verse comic, yeah. right? I mean, basically, this could be this could be a movie of being able to play all of these costumes in the uh, Spider-Man PlayStation <laughs> game. <laughs> yeah, and I just realised I've said I've said Spider-Man PlayStation game, and people probably think I mean PlayStation Four. I don't. I mean the one from like two thousand and one or whenever it was. <laughs> do you guys think Tom Holland will do a voice in this one? That will do, get some kind of crossover. I think if they can make it happen, they'd be crazy not to. If contractually it's possible, I would not be su- surprised to see all of the previous Spider-Man turn up voice acting their versions of the characters oh my god that'd be so fun that would be that so would be fun right yeah. i'd be very happy to see that even andrew garfield i was gonna say that that's the one circumstance in which you'd be happy to see andrew garfield return to the role of Spider-Man. honestly he deserves yeah. it because he just loves spider-man so much i feel bad sometimes because mm. i feel like he right? loves he does, yeah. that character so much and it's not his fault that he was in two not great movies <laughs> I mean, there are some ways in which he contributes, but... Like, <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, his love of the character is sincere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think any of us disagree with that. No. So, yeah, Spider-Verse 2. Will Will this podcast still exist when that film comes out in 2022? Well, the world still exists. If not, we'll, we'll come back for a special. So tired. <laughs> will we have run out of films? But, yes, if we've run out of films, we'll, we'll come back to do that one. We'll even get Joe back. It'd be nice to agree with Joe on a Spider-Man <laughs> film. Yeah. <laughs> Um, right, so just before we uh, wrap things up on the news front, just some bits of news coming out of Marvel TV. Uh, there have been now been showrunners hired for the uh, Moon Knight and She-Hulk series. Um, so She-Hulk is going to be run by Jessica Gao. Uh, she has worked on things like Rick and Morty and Silicon Valley and various other comedy things. Uh, apparently she wrote the Pickle Rick episode of Rick and Morty. So Interesting. Um, yeah, so she's going to be doing She-Hulk. That does rather imply kind of going down a comedic direction with the show. I'm extremely um, happy to hear that. Which, yeah, I think is you know what we've talked about we'd all really like to see. Uh, Caroline, as a, as a US TV mm-hmm. uh, following person, are you familiar with Jessica's No, Blair? I'm not, unfortunately. Although I have heard people sometimes yell things about Pickle Rick, but I do not watch Rick and Morty, <laughs> so I don't have the context for that one. Yeah, I too am one of those people who, despite all the people telling me that I would like Rick and Morty, I'm completely put off it by the fandom. I um, didn't learn about the fandom until after I'd been to watch the entire show. So <laughs> I'm happy to say that I have watched Rick and Morty and it is really good. It's a shame about all the people who like Rick and Morty. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Moon Knight is going to be done by somebody who has quite a bit of recent pedigree in the genre because it's Jeremy Slater. Um, if you're not sure where you recognise that name from, he did uh, the Netflix Umbrella Academy show. Uh, he was the lead on that. And he also co-wrote Fantastic Four 2015 and Netflix's Death Note. So um, I think probably, you know, if, you were, if, if you're Jeremy Slater going in for an interview, you'd probably point to Umbrella Academy more than you'd point to Fantastic Four. Um, but 
Yeah. Excited about Moon Knight? <laughs> I find it hard to have an opinion on, yeah. I'm, it's hard to have an opinion on that because Moon Knight, I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Did you, did, 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 did all of you ever watch Umbrella Academy? Yeah, I watched it. I didn't really love it, actually. It was one of those that I kept being like, every episode I was like, okay, I like it just enough that maybe it'll get better next episode. And then I finished the season and I was like, mm, I didn't need to have mm. spent that much time with it. But it certainly has its charms. I think it was frustrating for me because it felt like it had more potential that it wasn't tapping into. But yeah, I mean, it's hard. I don't know. It's always hard to say how much people's, I always feel like with people's past credits on TV, sometimes it's hard to say how that will translate into another show. Sure. Um, and I also know nothing about, what's his name, Moon Knight? So that's also a little bit, <laughs> I don't know. With a lot of these Disney Plus things, it just feels like it's hard to get excited for them. There's so many of them, and it's such a question mark as to what any of them will be like. You know what I mean? Maybe if if we watch these first couple and they're amazing, then I'll get excited about these. But I don't know. I'm starting I to I can tell you now, it's, <laughs> it's very easy for me to be excited about She-Hulk. Sure, yeah, agreed. As for the rest of them, yeah, I sort of get where you're coming from. It just feels like there's going to be so many, you know? Like, I'm worried about mm -hmm. being over-inundated with stuff from Marvel. I mean, something that was interesting is that apparently you... Kevin Feige has said recently, you need to watch WandaVision to understand Doctor Strange 2. Was it WandaVision he said that about? Well, shall we go on to the next bit of news? <laughs> yes, okay, let's. And then we okay, can talk about that further. Because, yes, having already said that WandaVision will tie heavily into Doctor Strange 2, uh, Feige has also confirmed that Loki is going to. Right, that was it. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, in a way... Loki is in the Loki TV show. We'll tie in, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, obviously, this is untrue, right? Because... They're not going to create a gateway around a, you know, multi-million dollar movie wherein you have to have devoted like six or seven hours previously to watching a miniseries on a subscription service. Like, it's just, it's not going to matter. I I believe that they'll tie in. I don't believe that they are in any way integral. Yeah. I think they mm. might add a slight amount of context in the same way the Clone Wars TV show added a slight amount of context to the Clone Wars Star Wars movie. I mean, this, this Loki thing actually says to me something the other way round uh but this is kind of distinct i think from from the point that you were making about the the essential nature of the disney plus shows but the fact that they've mentioned that two of the tv shows will in some way have a connection to this doctor strange film um what that says to me is that the the next era of marvel that Doctor Strange 2 could be its Iron Man, as in mm. this is where everything is going to, you know, rather than sort of everything's going to spin out of whatever they do next with the Avengers or whatever they do with Captain Marvel or or whoever, it feels like they're, are they building things around Doctor Strange? Is Doctor Strange their new Iron Man? I mean, Man? almost certainly and, because they've promised that the future will be diverse and female. So, um, like, the least surprising thing in the world would be that Marvel <laughs> would be like, actually, what we meant is we took the Tony Stark copycat and we're building the universe around him. Yeah. Yeah. Like, genuinely, I think that that is, you know, they don't have a great track record in mm. terms of being able to break free of that mold. So I would really not be surprised. Yeah. But I mean, it, what it also does for me is it, it kind of raises that question that I've refused to indulge uh, because I still feel like the title Multiverse of Madness is supposed to be misleading. And I, I think I argued with Joe that it is absolutely not suggesting that um, they're building a Marvel multiverse. But 
Um, if the film turns out to be really important and the thing that they're building around, then maybe it is more literal. Um, I don't know. It's speculation, and you know, we we. I don't know if you've noticed, but we don't speculate about things <laughs> on this podcast. So. Um, but either way, I mean, James, you. I think. I think. I do think you're right in the sense of you know these shows. I think are. I think all of them are nice to haves rather than things you absolutely have to be. Yeah, watching I mean, Kevin Feige. Kevin Feige would obviously say, "Oh yeah, you have to watch these movies to understand the next film." Because what's he going to say? Like, oh yeah, and don't yeah. worry, they're inessential. You can skip them. Like, yeah, because they tried that with Agents of that. Shield. That's kind of pretty much how they pitched Agents of Shield, and the net result. Well, I was going to say the net result was nobody watched it, but it got however many seasons, so it must have had enough people watching it. I, mean, I think technically it's still going, right? It is. Yeah, yeah. I think technically, I think these shows are going to be the sort of thing where if you are a person who is going to benefit from having the knowledge of these shows in your enjoyment of the film, you would have already signed up for Disney plus, you know what I mean? Like you would have already been a big fan of this. And if you're someone like my parents who are kind of just happy to watch these movies in any order, you don't give, you don't, you don't care what happened. (laughs) Sorry. Any order. Oh God. Pretty much. Or like me, honestly, there's, I, I started into the Marvel universe. Like, I think one of the first ones I ever saw was winter soldier. And you just figure it out. Like, I think when you're so in these things, <laughs> it feels like it would be impossible. Because, like, I watch yeah. right now, I watch and I'm like, here's 20 different connections. And how could someone enjoy this without understanding them? But then when I, you know, when I first went in, kind of blind, I enjoyed it perfectly if fine. You're, if you're blissfully, if you, if you don't know what you don't know, yeah. then it's not as much of a big deal as if you, as if you, yeah, as you say, you know, if you, if one of us went to see them having skipped a film we would be conscious of the stuff exactly. that we missed in a way that and know. i suspect the shows um, are going to be like that too it's interesting you say that actually because when i always remember how my first like one of my first x-men comics was set in an alternate reality um it was part three of a four-part story and i remember being like transfixed by everything in it that i clearly didn't know and that i had yet to mm. understand and there's there's always this conversation in comics about like how uh, how can we make sure every issue is accessible to someone like how can we make it a jumping on point and actually if you're interested the stuff that's hard to get into isn't going to put you off it's going to make you more interested mm-hmm. in finding out well mm. well what what does that mean where did that come from like how did things get here so in a way i guess the the mcu movies are like that and like if you if you see part of a story you'll be interested in figuring out what the rest of it was even if you come in you know midway through yeah completely actually and i i think actually the first mcu movie i ever saw was avengers and i remember being like wow tony and pepper's relationship in this one scene in this movie is so great i can't wait to watch the Mm -hmm. next you know what had happened before (laughs) which they really shame you watch the very best scene (laughs) yeah i was gonna say they aren't even like that really is the pinnacle and that probably made me like that relationship seeing it in that order maybe even more than i would have if i you know what I mean? Saw it in the <laughs> yeah. correct order. So I think people are good. People are better than we give them credit for it, sort of jumping in and catching on to things. Yeah. Well, either way, we it's good to know um, that's just been announced that we in the UK will have the opportunity to decide whether or not we want to catch up on these shows by the time they all come along. Um, because although if you're a fan of, the, of Star Wars, you're a bit screwed uh, because we're getting Disney Plus at the end of March 2020. Wait, what? You're not getting it when it launches? We there is a licensing deal with Sky Television, which wow. is causing problems. Yeah, there are outstanding wow, licensing agreements that. that need to expire first. So yeah, 
Um, so, as I say, kind of Star Wars fans, uh, if they want to see The Mandalorian, are going to have to pirate it or VPN it or whatever. But uh, Marvel fans, uh, nothing starts before we get it. So that's nice. Because I don't care about Star Wars. <laughs> I was about to say, like, I find it hard to care about Star Wars fans, if I'm being honest. <laughs> what about people that want to rewatch Frozen before Frozen 2? <laughs> <laughs> It's a good point. By Andy. Well, if we're in the UK, it's on Sky. Oh, okay, okay. I see, <laughs> as, as I see. I'm aware because, <laughs> uh, my, as you can probably imagine, my daughter is hugely into Frozen <laughs> and we will be going to see Frozen 2 very soon. Is that on Disney Life? I feel like it's on Disney Life. It must be on Disney Life. They're all on Disney Life. There you yeah. go. Phew, okay. Did you ever have Disney Life in the US? Uh, I have Disney never Plus? heard of it. Potentially we Disney do, Plus. but I don't know what it is. It's kind of It's kind of a proto-Disney Plus yeah in that it's just it's got all of disney's like cartoon back catalog on a bunch of marvel stuff a bunch of star wars stuff i don't think we have all the all the movies yeah i suspect it might have been a test for disney plus wow that's crazy because it's it's ludicrously cheap as well it's like five pounds a month that sounds to me like what the benefit of disney plus is like if you had that it's i mean it's one of those where it's when you dig into it it's like so like marvel stuff for example it doesn't have the mcu movies but it has a lot of it what it has is a lot of marvel cartoons Mm, i see um it's got it's got i think every disney animated movie and a lot of the live action ones it doesn't have anywhere near as much as as disney plus is going to it's uh, if you got kids who really like disney and you don't have sky because most of the disney stuff is also on sky because they have a sky disney channel and you want a way to watch gummy bears Um, then it's kind of worth it it's kind of worth putting up with its really clunky interface um, and the fact that it doesn't auto play series so if you're watching little one minute videos that they have of kids stuff this is just a personal bugbear with it but (laughs) if you if you try to leave your child watching one minute videos you have to come back and switch over to the next one every time a minute one long one ends or do what i do teach your child to use a remote control (laughs) yeah we did that and now she just searches for everything well that's living the dream then go put your feet up not really. She, she was watching Double Dare off Nickelodeon the other day. It's like, when did you become a nine-year-old all of a sudden? <laughs> <laughs> also, Double Dare is back. When did that happen? Anyway. This is good. I feel like my tastes really align. When they're not aligning with like a 13-year-old boy, they align with a nine-year-old girl. So this is really hitting my sweet spot <laughs> of uh, subject matter. <laughs> Right, well, should we, uh, talking of sweet spots of subject matter, shall we move on to talking about everybody's favourite knife-handed Canadian <laughs> with hair? Yes, please. Okay, so let's listen to a trailer, and when we come back, we will discuss James Mangold's 2013 film, The Wolverine. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a It's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Beautiful, Yoshida. Keep it safe for me. Someday I'll come get it. My employer is dying. He wants to thank you for saving his life all those years ago. It's an honor to meet the Wolverine. That's not who I am anymore. After the war, the Yashida family business became Japan's largest. He made advances that have saved millions of lives. I want to offer you a gift, Morgan. You have struggled long enough. Your ability to heal can be passed to another. Allow someone else to shoulder your burden. Logan, son, I can make you mortal. Trust me, Bowman. You don't want what I've got. I'm not ready to die. Just keep moving. I'm not healing. She did this to me. This flesh is weak now. Hey, Bob. What are you? A chemist, a capitalist, a viper. So you can see the future. I saw you die. We will accept your surrender with respect. That all the men you brought. Your grandfather called me a Ronin. Samurai without a master. Who has no reason to live? 
was he right? Okay, so that was the trailer for The Wolverine. Um, I think this is another one of these films where, even though it is only a few years old, I think talking about what we maybe thought of it at the time versus what we thought about going back to it now is potentially interesting. And I say that because I found it interesting for me. It may may not be remotely interesting (laughs) for either of you. Um, But the reason I say that is that I feel like this film is kind of the almost completely forgotten entry in the X-Men film series. Um, I think it's really easy to forget that it exists because it's not the dreadful Wolverine movie that we all know about. It's not the great Wolverine movie that everybody loves that we all know about. And it came out just before Days of Future Past and indeed leads directly into Days of Future Past, which I think you know, was so big and successful that it kind of did the job of, I think, obliterating the memories of the handful of films that had come before it. Um, So when we kind of discussed doing this, I was kind of really ambivalent towards it. I remembered watching it when it first came out and thinking, yeah, that was fine. Um, But I was kind of surprised going back to it because I think it's kind of, if this is the forgotten X-Men film, I think that's quite unfair because I think this probably sits in the top half of, the X-Men films. I don't know what you guys think and thought. I think this movie freaking rules. I love this movie. (laughs) I think it is supremely underrated. I completely agree that it's a top tier X-Men film and it's just very upsetting that people don't talk about it more. I had the experience for some reason, like I am, I feel like since I first started joining you guys as like a guest, I've just been like, let me talk about an X-Men movie because I love (laughs) X-Men. But weirdly, even though I love, like I watched all of those original X-Men in the theaters when they came out, I think I was so like X3 was really a real like mental breaking point for young Caroline in terms of franchises (laughs) disappointing me. And so maybe because of that, or maybe I just missed it, but I did not see this one in theaters. Uh, and I didn't see it until I did like an X-Men movie marathon with a couple of my friends, including my friend Ned, who listens to this podcast. So hi, Ned and Emily. Um, and that was when I first like discovered this movie and was like, why why did I go to this theater and see X-Men Origins Wolverine and then not go see this incredible film? So I think I sort of had the the experience of rediscovering it was both my first time watching it and then similarly on this rewatch I just loved it all over again yeah so I guess I had the same a similar experience then which is that I saw it at the cinema and thought yeah okay that was fine like it goes a bit nuts at the end you know and then you're left with this sort of cliffhanger that just makes you angry every time you think about it <laughs> but rewatch it like I wasn't that jazzed to rewatch the movie and then as soon as I was like halfway through it I was like oh you know this is actually a lot better than I remember and even even the the sort of mad final act is actually pretty good like it, it yeah definitely definitely one of the better x-men films maybe you know maybe even maybe even the best wolverine film i, well, I agree <laughs> i mean i think logan's interesting but i think i mean i think logan is you could say logan is a better film but i would say that yeah this is probably the best Wolverine film in terms of being a film about the character of Wolverine Mm -hmm. as you know him both as you know him from the comics and also putting together all the stuff about him that the movies have built up um 
yeah, it probably is. It, it, like, you know, the title actually serves it quite well because I think, I think, yeah, I think this is the Wolverine movie. Other than the fact that, you know, he never wears anything resembling a Wolverine costume, but you're never going to get that. Um, he is definitely at his most Wolverine-y. Um, we'll talk in a little bit, just kind of um, once we move on from this, about kind of comics fidelity because I think it's also the one that most specifically and directly references some very specific stuff from Wolverine comics and mm-hmm. from Wolverine comics, not X-Men comics. Um, but also, yeah, I think, I think what's interesting about it, looking at it now is that I, th- I think, I do think that it's, it's, it stands up better partly because of what's come after it. Um, I think at the time, I do remember it getting that criticism for the final act because you've got this, this interesting film that doesn't that does a lot of things that i mean in a lot of ways it is kind of still fairly straightforward but in 2013 um a lot of the stuff that this film does is not things that the x-men films were doing and then it's kind of disappointing that you have a final act that is just a big fight with a big metal samurai suit um I think since we've had Logan, again, I think I do think that most people would say that Logan is a better film, but it does feel like this is like this is trying to do what Logan was able mm-hmm. to do, but was compromised by having to do that that kind of almost it does feel like a kind of studio mandated ending. And I think because now that we've had Logan and because we've had it done by James Mangold, I think you can look more favorably on what James Mangold was trying to do with this one. Um and 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 acknowledge that the that the director and the writers were kind of compromised by studio a bit more. I also think that you know in general, uh, well not even in general, almost entirely. I mean, I, I like Days of Future Past, um, identity of the director notwithstanding. Um, but I think apart from Logan and I guess the Deadpool's as well, you know, the X Men films have only really been on a downward curve since this. So I think it holds up stronger. Like it's, I mean, I th- I think in terms of succeeding at what it's doing, it probably is better than Days of Future Past, and it is definitely a better film than either of the last two X Men films, mm-hmm. which are both wretched in their <laughs> ways. So actually, now you can look back on it as a kind of, oh, okay, they were they were doing good things with this. It is interesting to look at it, you know, in comparison to Logan because it is the same director and obviously the same star, and you can see it exploring so many of the same themes Mm. but what i actually really like about the wolverine and i think this is honestly i feel like this is one of the few comic book movies to do this but it just feels like a one-off story in the best way do you know what i mean like this is an adventure it has it has really big stakes and they are like life or death stakes but it also feels like yeah this is just what wolverine does in his life as opposed to origins obviously has the weight of I mean, being a terrible movie, but also like being an origin (laughs) story. And then Logan has the weight of it really wants to be the, you know, explicitly the final chapter. And this feels like we could have gotten 10 movies that were just like, yeah, this is what Wolverine does. Like this to me Mm. is just like the platonic ideal of what a sort of spin-off movie should be. And we should get more movies that feel like this. It feels a bit like a Bond movie, but for Wolverine, right? It's like this one-off story. It's not that it doesn't have stakes. It's just that, you know, he deals with them in... (laughs) <laughs> in a way you would expect this character to like he mm. he gets through them yeah it, it is it is frustrating that it ends in such a way as to set up the continuing adventures not just of wolverine but wolverine and his cool new sidekick yeah 
but unfortunately, because it has to go crashing headlong into Days of Future Past, the bit that at the time that this film came out was probably seen by many people as the most exciting thing about it, i.e. the post credit scene where Xavier and Magneto turn up again, is actually now one of the things that hobbles it the most. Because what that, what that scene does is that takes a massive sledgehammer to the possibility of carrying on with more of these fun self-contained wolverine mm-hmm. going around the world stories i mean it isn't entirely because there's a two-year gap like it, that post-credit scene explicitly says two years later yeah but two years is not a lot of time to to put in your ongoing series of films oh true yeah yeah, yeah. So, yeah no i know what you mean it's like it's yeah but i actually really like the post-credit scene and i really like days of future past but i completely agree that it is like criminal that we did not get 20 Wolverine and Yukio movies because like talk <laughs> about the franchise that I would have been just like so happy to see more of and it's such a bummer that they didn't bring her back for any of these other mm-hmm. X-Men films like why is she not mm. in Days of Future Past a completely good question criminal um I mean uh, well I, I want to talk about her kind of a, a bit more and in a bit more detail um later on um I think just it's it's interesting actually just kind of looking at the the way that this film starts both with the kind of the the flashback and then the sort of where we find Logan in the present day kind of for different reasons. Um I mean that the opening the Nagasaki opening mm-hmm. is it's really surprising. It's a really surprising way to open a film like this. Um I think the way it sort of it kind of it it leaves you to i mean most people watching it should figure out where it is and what's happening but it's still kind of it 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 leaves you to do a lot of filling in the gaps as in terms of what's going on um, yeah, it doesn't like stick up a caption that's like Nagasaki, Nagasaki, nineteen forty. Well, exactly. Or yeah, I mean, because it, yeah, it, it, you know, it's not the Magneto Holocaust stuff mm-hmm. from from the beginning of X Men, um, and it's and I think just from a point of view and, and like. Caroline, I don't know if this is kind of maybe different for you because obviously we're talking about this from a from a British perspective, um, but for an American film aimed at American viewers um, to put its hero in in this scene mm-hmm. and for, for you know for this to be something that happens as a result of what the Americans do, um, as I say, you know, I, I, I feel like that's potentially quite a a, a jarring and, and striking thing for it to do. I completely agree, and I think that there is. I mean, I think that this may be... A lot of times X-Men movies try to recapture the feeling of that first one, which I really think opening with the scene of Magneto as a kid and the Holocaust, like, I mean, that at the time was such a such a wild leap for, you know, ostensibly mm. a, a superhero fun, you know, comic book movie to start with. And I think all the subsequent films have, like, really tried to recapture that sort of, like, unexpected starting place. And this one probably comes the closest to recapturing that with the surprise angle. And I completely agree that putting us in the perspective of the Japanese experiencing the atomic bombing, like it, it sets the tone for the rest of the movie. Do you know what I mean? Like when it, when we go back to Japan, it's like we're already rooted in the perspective of the people Mm. that were there because that's how Wolverine experienced it. I don't know. And I think that there's even part of the reason I get so annoyed that this movie spins off into like comic book nonsense at the end is because I think that there's like, there's a reading of this film that's like the trauma that the Americans inflicted on the Japanese, like that it essentially like 
I don't know that it's like this trauma that in some ways you want to say like, oh, it's so beautiful that we've recovered and moved past, but also like we haven't. And, and you know what I mean? Like you see with Yoshida, like it's, it feels like, oh, he's this man who's made peace with his life. And then he's, you know, it's like Mm. beautiful. And there's that line about like, oh, even the worst things, you know, we can regrow them. But then there's like this big twist where he turns out to be the villain. And it's like, oh, maybe living through this massive trauma in his youth, like he was never fully able to recover from that. And (laughs) the enemies in that situation, you know, were the Americans who did this, who committed this, you know, atrocity. And so again, it's like, because the movie, like all of at the end, it just feels like nonsense. It like doesn't quite get into that. But I do feel like there is this like interesting reading that you can put onto this film and how much it is anchoring us in the Japanese perspective. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it, cause it is, it is really interesting that, that, you know, given that this is the guy who you've seen at the start of the film from a kind of completely sympathetic mm-hmm. perspective and then having, you know, first you see him doing something good, like trying to to help and save people he has no reason to save, and then having his life saved by Logan. And you're like, okay, so this is this is going to be a guy who, you know, who Logan knew all these years ago, and who he he feels like he owes Logan his life. Um, the fact that yeah, he turns out that that even that isn't enough to stop him from turning on Logan for what he he wants is an interesting angle because we've seen it's you know it's not like we saw him as a bad person back then and Logan happened to save his life we saw him as a good person mm-hmm. then and Logan saved his life um as you say it's like it's just a shame that we yeah we're missing actually getting into his motivation at the end it's just you know oh I'm I'm the bad guy and actually I want to steal your life and live forever because mm-hmm. and I think it is you know it is kind of slightly hinted at that that idea of it being kind of the trauma of of what he lived through, but yeah, it's a shame that we don't get to go more into that because I think it's I think it is more something you have to infer rather than something that the movie I mean, kind of that, outright states. That actually is something that I think this movie benefits from having like now seen Logan is that the sort of theme of mortality is actually drawn out a lot more. Having you know in in knowing that Logan is going to deal with similar stuff by the same director from a similar perspective because like that the idea of like what it would be like to to outlive everyone and what it might feel like if you were someone aware of your own mortality and also aware of wolverine's immortality Mm -hmm. Mm. and that you had this moment in your life where like in two different ways you were kind of supposed to die right like originally he's going to sort of commit like a suicide and then he's, you know, if that hadn't happened, he would have been blown up by the bomb. So he sort of like survived these two, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, near-death experiences. And then, mm-hmm. so what's it like to like live with the knowledge that someone is immortal and that you yourself were sort of meant to die twice? Yeah. And like how messed up that makes your psychology. And again, it's like, oh, I just want to rewrite this last, not even the last act, just like the last 10 minutes and like get rid of Viper mm. and just dig into the psychology of what's there. I think this movie would just be like incredible. Just not have the guy in a giant robot. Yeah, and that too. I mean, also, I'm I'm not sure the film would be much worse off if if Viper just wasn't in it. Not it would be far improved, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, but on on that, again, we kind of want to talk a bit about because that you know, being a character coming directly from comics, albeit kind of presented in a slightly different way. Um, but again, it's what surprised me about the opening when we move on to Logan in the Yukon. Um, and we get a sequence that is basically like directly lifted 
from that Claremont and Miller 1982 Wolverine series in a way that I think I'm trying to think of other examples kind of specifically in the X-Men series more than anything else where we've actually had sequences like that that are just such direct lifts the whole thing with the bear and the hunters and the Mm. poison is completely from that um, and it's great. It's a it's a it's a really good sequence. And I think probably the only disappointing thing about this film is because it's got to get onto the the stuff with him going to Japan that we don't get a little bit more of kind of uh, Canadian Wolverine um, because you know that that stuff's always good fun. But um, I do also quite like as well. Just on on a side note, that kind of um, in in this film, which I think did it actually come out the same year as the Les Mis film. And like both of these films have got your kind of long, scraggly, long haired, <laughs> long bearded Hugh Jackman in them before he cleans himself up later on. <laughs> um, but yeah, that stuff is, I mean, it ends up being kind of quite, I think, inessential to the film other than it kind of showing us his kind of state of mind and where he's at at the start. But it's, it, it comes back to what we were saying before about it just would have been nice to have got more in the way of, Hugh Jackman playing this character out off on his own in the world doing stuff because actually you know I'd say I could have happily watched much more stuff about him in the wilds of Canada. See I kind of feel the opposite I like that we get this it's almost like a fake out of like okay we're gonna have a prologue where Wolverine like battles these guys and then Yukio just comes in she's like nope that's boring I dealt with them now let's go do something else I kind of like that (laughs) subversion of you think like okay our first big Wolverine action scene it's like, nope, she just like sliced some chairs and bottles and now they're going to leave. <laughs> I found in that whole sequence, I was just like, just tie your hair back or something, please. Like, it's so greasy and straggly. It just, it really bothered me. <laughs> can we, maybe, can we talk about, since this is where it's introduced, just like the Jean Grey element of this film? because <laughs> yeah, I, like I, I really enjoyed that when it... Do you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the first and this time, partly because like... One of the things I don't like about movie series is when they they do something like they make a relationship really central to a character for one movie and then just drop it completely. Mm -hmm. And they sort of do that with Wolverine in that like you watch Wolverine Origins, it's all about him and his brother, right? Him and Sabretooth. He barely mentions Sabretooth ever, (laughs) except in that movie, right? And so I like that Jean was sort of his tie to like his past life and she kept coming back to sort of remind us of what he had lost and what he'd abandoned i agree that taken on the terms of how this franchise wants us to view the logan gene relationship the continuity is nice (laughs) and it certainly makes Mm -hmm. sense that like if you were you know even if you were just forced to kill an acquaintance that would be something that would haunt you but Mm -hmm. i just feel like i need to reiterate in terms of how this franchise as a whole wants us to view gene and logan's relationship like in in the first x-men movie right they meet for the first time They have a little adventure. By the end of the movie, he leaves. This is not a situation where it's like, oh, between, you know, first class and Days of Future Past, like 10 years have passed. No, 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 no. We see that entire relationship. X2, (laughs) same thing. He arrives at the beginning. Honestly, they're separated for like half the movie because they're off doing separate missions. They kind of reunite, have like two scenes, and then she dies. And that is the entirety (laughs) Of their knowing each other. And this entire time she is like dating slash engaged to someone else. And basically it's just like when you think about what actually happened on screen. And then the extent that in this movie Logan is like the love of my life died. It's like dude get a grip. This is like a woman that you vaguely had a crush on. 
Yeah, <laughs> and the, the amount that you have invested, and I get we're not supposed to think about it, like we're just supposed to take it on the terms that this franchise treats it. But I have the same problem at the end of X2 when Jean dies and Professor X is like, of course, the two most important people in her <laughs> life that I must speak to at the same time, Cyclops, her fiance, and this guy that knew her for two weeks. <laughs> you are equally grieving this death. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I guess, what, what it, the two things that it's working with are the implied kind of backstory from the comics it's mm-hmm. like you know yeah, if, you, yeah. if you if you know the comics or indeed the 90s cartoon then you know that there's a bit more of a kind of uh, a history there um and obviously it's it's dealing with the aftermath of x-men the last stand which was compromised by uh, James Marsden going and making Superman Returns, and so all of the material that was supposed to be about Cyclops grieving over Gene in X to, in X three uh, goes to Wolverine out of nowhere instead. So I mean, I think I think this film is working with what it's already been given by and established Agreed. by the previous film. So I, I wouldn't blame this film for picking that up, and it, that's just partly because it gives me another excuse to blame Last Stand for something because Last Stand <laughs> is terrible. Um, but yeah, I think if Last Stand has has made it canonical that in the ever-shifting X-Men movie timelines, actually there was more of a relationship there than we saw in the first two films. This film's just picking up on that. And yeah. I think I think because it gives you that thread, and it actually, and because it gives you an excuse to get Funky Anson back as Jean Grey, um, you know, having sort of not always made the best use of her in the previous films. Um, I mean, one of the things I actually okay. that excited me was... Just the idea that, uh, okay, we are actually committed to doing a story that happens after X-Men 3, and in many ways is a sequel to X-Men 3. Like, a lot of this movie doesn't directly reference it, but deals with, in in an Iron Man 3 sort of way, like, the state of mind of the character following the events Mm -hmm. of that, that series. Totally. And it's worth remembering, after, so I forget what year X-Men 3 was, 2008 was it? 2009? Seven. Seven, as early as seven. So then, you know, then we had two different prequels and it was a bit like, yeah, we're never going back there. And then suddenly... In fact, it was six, 2006. Yeah, there you go. So, what, another seven years after they finally went, okay, Mm. we're doing a story set after that stuff you saw. And that, just having Gene there for that reason was exciting to me. Yeah, Yeah. and I agree. It's really nice to see Famke Hansen. And I just love Gene Grey, so I always feel very protective of her. (laughs) And I think that... I do think this movie falls into the trap that every single movie seems to fall into because every single movie seems to feature like dead wife, you know, ethereal dead <laughs> wife, whatever. My what what kind of freaks me out about this trope, and this is something you see in like, I mean, honestly, Deadpool 2 does this and The Punisher does this and every Christopher Nolan movie does this. It's like. Sometimes I'm like, were you not attracted to this woman for her personality? Because all of the like visions are just like hi, I'm vaguely sexy, come hang out with me. And it's like, oh, did you, like, (laughs) is there nothing about her personality that you remember? Because this is not super, you know what I mean? Like, this is not a super Jean Grey in character. And again, this is just like in general. I thought the biggest, I thought Deadpool 2 was the worst, the most egregious of this because that character is so heightened. And then it was like, I'm a generic dead wife calling you to be with me. And I was like, well, this is not like, (laughs) why were you dating her if you did not like her personality (laughs) enough to envision it? Um, so this is not like the worst, you know, example of that, but it does fall just a little bit into the like, ooh, we made her vague and she's wearing sexy nightgowns in order to display why he would want to be with her. And it's like, well, what if he just like remembered the person that he was ostensibly in love with 
and remembered her as she was. But whatever. Now <laughs> I mean, it's because they only spent two weeks together. He doesn't really know. Yeah, true. True. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that, not that familiar with them. He just vaguely remembers them. Kind of yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, I think she had red hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I think on on that kind of subject of how the film is with female characters, um, I I think it's probably fair to say that it's that it's weak in some areas, but strong in others. Um, I mean, I really don't know what there is to say about the character of Mariko at all, um, other than that, like she's in the film, um, and that it's it's kind of baffling that the film kind of presents this romance developing between logan and her because i don't think we see anything that warrants why she would be remotely interesting and it's even more baffling when on the other side of things you've got yukio who well for starters is and james i don't know if you you can kind of shed more light on this an established x-men supporting character and uh interest of wolverines but also is just great like whenever she's in the film and you know it's just a really cool and fun and exciting character who you just always want to see more of i mean i think this version of yukio is probably too young to be a love interest of wolverine oh no i mean i'm not saying the film necessarily should have made her a love interest for wolverine but yeah yeah i mean but i just think she's a more interesting character to have she is certainly she's definitely a more interesting character and she definitely has more um chemistry with hugh jackman then whoever playing whoever's playing Mariko, I forget. I think that Mariko romance is largely predicated on here's the character we have named after the woman who was Wolverine's wife in the comics. Yeah. So yeah, it's hard to it's hard to disagree with that. Although I think I don't think it's indicative maybe of a poor treatment of female characters that she's a bit nothingy, just because I think the film is maybe slightly better with them in general i think viper's a worse example because i feel like at least mariko has a personality of some kind viper i just she's a bit of a cipher yeah Mm. i actually love mariko and i'm really glad she's in the movie and i'm really glad she's like like i also love yukia well see this is why i love this movie is because you don't have to choose right like yeah right exactly you either have the love interest or the villain or the sidekick or the dead wife flashback and this movie's like hey what if there was more than one woman and you get four different types (laughs) and that to me it's like this is also why i loved x-men so much as a kid like it's why those first two movies were such a big deal to me because i'm pretty sure from x2 there's there's a like a brief little subplot of X2 where Jean and Storm go off to get Nightcrawler, right? I'm pretty sure from that movie until Black Panther, that was the first time ever in a superhero movie that there were first and only or only for a long time that there were two women who were just like, you two are going to do the mission. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there's mm-hmm. enough women in this movie that you two can go do a mission and you aren't even the only women in this movie. And that was why X-Men was such a big deal. And that was why... I kind of struggle with movies like First Class that really, I think the franchise got very male heavy there for a while because they invested so much in the Magneto, um, uh, Charles and Eric. Now I'm mixing up their comic book and their real names, the Charles and Eric uh, friendship. And so I love that this movie really returns it to like just a lot of women in this movie. And I remember one of my big critiques of Logan actually is that there are so few women in it. And the only woman in it is a child who is who, who doesn't speak talk. for a ton of it. And like she is cool. Like that's you know again, it's like a situation where I don't dislike that character, 
but there's only one of them. And I remember on Twitter, I was like, it was annoying to me that there weren't enough women in Logan. And someone was like, well, of course they weren't, there weren't, you know, it's a Wolverine story. Why would there be? I'm like, but look at the Wolverine. Like this is the exact type of movie that's not billing itself as a, you know, a female focused movie. It doesn't ostensibly need to do this. It's kind of like Black Panther where it's like, this is not, we're not setting out to do this in a performative way, but we're just like, sure, let's make a lot of different types of women in our movie. And I think it's very cool that there are, like, ostensibly this movie is Logan and then four women are, like, the next most important Ooh. characters. And <laughs> even if is, some of them don't fully work, like, it's still cool to see that happen. And that is something that comes from the comics as well, in that the X-Men franchise in particular was very popular with women, like, throughout the 80s. Just because it had all these different female superheroes on the team. Mm-hmm. And they actually had like different yeah, personalities. Yeah, they actually had different personalities. <laughs> and, you know, within the realm of superheroes, they had different body types as well. Like, not massively diverse, but, you know, different ethnicities, different hair colors. They weren't all redheads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's a shame that we, like, when you first meet Mariko, um, there's like a little conversation between her and Yukio. Um, that kind of implies a sort of a, a shared background and and friendship, and it's I think it's kind of a shame. I mean, there's not really any opportunity where the film would do it, um, but it's a shame that that doesn't really get covered very much by the film after that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the fact that they have that pre-existing. Uh, what what it does get, it gets explained to us by several different characters. We don't really get an opportunity to see it until the very final scene of the movie. Mm. like they're you know you're you're told like oh yeah they're like sisters oh you're actually you're like a pet or whatever and then at the end she's like you're my family but mm. they're apart for so much of the film you just you don't really get to experience what you're told is is true and that they are actually great friends and that they grew up together i still think even just like i agree it could have been better but even just having it there at all it feels like a big deal like i'm just so used to watching these movies where there's nothing mm. you know like, ge- like genuinely, there's nothing. And I think yeah. ha- living that experience, it makes you, like, weirdly grateful. It's why there's, like, little moments, like, there'll be, like, a 30-second scene with Black Widow, and I'm like, that was the most incredible scene I've ever seen, because, you know, you're it's like, that's all you have, so of course you really focus on it. So, yeah, yeah I agree, it could have been more, and I think it's part of the, you know, this movie could have been structured in a way that was better overall, especially if you got rid of Viper, who doesn't work at all. But just having, like, yeah, here's two women and they are good friends. And that's the state of it. Like, that, it feels like a relief and it's nice. And even if they only have one little scene together, like, that's more, or two little scenes, that's more than a lot of movies have. So, I don't know. I'm in a very take-what-you-can-get place with this movie. <laughs> yeah, fair. So so why is Viper so bad? Because we've criticized her a few times. And James, who who is Viper? Is she always as bad? <laughs> <laughs> so, Viper... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Viper um, was actually introduced as a Captain America villain originally. I don't think she's a mutant in the comics. I'd have to double check that. I th- I'm not really sure. No, I am sure how she ended up in a Wolverine film. It's because at some point in the Wolverine comics, it was revealed that she had married Wolverine secretly. Yeah. <laughs> um, as you do. As you do, yeah. As in secretly, like, without his knowledge, or just without oh, anyone no. else's knowledge? He he hadn't told anyone that it had happened. Oh, I also thought you meant that she just married him and he didn't know. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, she didn't, like, wait until he was passed out and then marry him. She was a member of Hydra for a time, but, you know, obviously all that gets uh, sliced out when you take her out of the Marvel Universe and stick her in the Fox X-Men-verse. 
I think nothing about this version of the character really tracks with the comics version other than the fact they're both dressing green. So it's a it's a really loose adaptation of, of Viper. Also, like, this is a film that steers clear of looking superhero-y at mm-hmm. all in the sense <laughs> of putting anyone in costume. Except... And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she's wearing this green costume. And it's like, well, what what is even the pretext for you wearing that? Because, you know, if it, if like, if a film is existing in a world it's created for itself where people just dress like that, then you don't question it. But yeah. if you, if the rest one of the film person. doesn't have people wear these colourful identifying costumes, then one character wearing it is really conspicuous. Yeah, and the performance too. I don't even, I think it could be a fun performance in a movie that is this tone. But like you're saying, when it's a movie that that's a more grounded tone, to have this like ridiculous mm. vampy like knockoff Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman performance, it's just like what is happening? Like this is not at all what this film is. And I was I at least on Wikipedia, I didn't see anything explicit about, you know, studio notes demanding this or that, but this certainly feels like, you know, someone submitted a draft and the studio was like, I don't know, there's not enough villains wearing costumes. Add a sexy lady scientist mm. in there. And it just so like you can just feel the film being like we don't want to do this but we have to. <laughs> but she she actually looks more out of place in the film than the big giant silver Agreed. samurai does. When it <laughs> that is fair up. to say, yeah. It's it's a really weird performance as well, isn't it? Like there's just there's no part of it that tracks with the rest of the film. Yeah, not at all. Mm, it's not subtle in the slightest. Which again, in a in a different film wouldn't necessarily be bad, but that's the thing. It just really feels like she's walked in from a different yeah. film. Um It reminds me a little bit of in um in Sam Raimi's third Spider Man, right? Where they just kinda wasn't there a thing where they were just like you have to use these certain villains and that the mm. movie was kind of at odds with itself over what it wanted to do. And this, this to me definitely feels she, like she's the venom of yeah, this film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that there was some sort of studio mandate and you feel that kind of with silver samurai as well at the end. Like to me, the, the film really almost reaches its climax with the fight between Wolverine and um, Mariko's dad, which I think is in, an incredible fight, which is just like a grounded <laughs> samurai, mm. you know, sword fight essentially. And that fight is so good, and that's like what the climax of this movie should have felt like. And instead, it just goes like over the yeah. top, ridiculous comic book nonsense. And it's so disappointing because the rest of the film is so good. <laughs> um, you've actually, Caroline, you've led me on nicely to what was the next note note point that I was going to make because I was going to talk about. Well, it, it, you're talking about the action and the kind of the action sequences, and I think there are, there were a few actually really good action set pieces in this finale notwithstanding but one thing that i I think part of the reason why they're able to be good and one of the things that's striking about this is particularly if you watch the extended version which uh, james and i both did this time around i hadn't seen the extended one before um it's quite violent isn't it it's very violent (laughs) and i I would say surprisingly so i think surprisingly so by the standards of previous x-men films and the genre in general um but also I think this is definitely the closest, you know, pre-Logan that they get to being able to to do what you kind of need to if you're going to do Wolverine. I mean, let's face it, if you're going to do Wolverine, you do kind of have to commit to a certain level of violence. Um, and I think this film actually shows up, well, in many ways it shows up X-Men Origins Wolverine because that's a terrible film. <laughs> but it certainly shows the way in which by, by holding back... Um, 
you know, it wasn't able to be as Wolverine-y as this is. Um, but by just, as we talked about at the start, about, you know, the um, the excuse by sending him to Japan, um, having Wolverine fight a load of people with swords means you get a load of really great sequences of Wolverine fighting people with swords. <laughs> and a guy with a bow and arrow. Love the guy with <laughs> the just bow up and on arrow. Roofs shooting people. <laughs> He's like my, that's a character too that I'm like, I want, I think Har- Harada is his name maybe. I wanted Harada. him. Harada, Harada. Yeah, I yeah. wanted him. He felt like a character who got lost in some sort of rewrite that added more Viper. Mm. I'm like, I wanted him in the state of like him and Mariko's relationship. Plus, I just feel like archers are always like talk about action. Like archers are just always a cool <laughs> thing to have in your movie, uh, which a lot of franchise clearly know. Yeah, unless they're played by Jeremy Renner. Unless it's your <laughs> Avengers movie, right? See, no, yeah. this is where I disagree because I love <laughs> <laughs> that element. I prefer, I prefer this guy to Hawkeye. Um, yeah, that's fair. The thing I like about him is that he's... He's almost like the romantic lead from a sort of Edo period Japanese novel who has just mm. turned up in this movie. Like he's a sort of mysterious uh, archer who dresses in black and tries to protect the, his like mistress. <laughs> and you're a bit like in any other film, he would have been the lead. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, Wolverine sort of blundered in and re- wrecked <laughs> it for him. He's a different point on the kind of the moral compass or scale or whatever you want to call it from what you'd usually get in these, which is obviously, you know, you've got you've got heroes and you've got villains. And he's someone who's quite back and forth because he's not actually about being heroic or villainous. He's on the whole kind of loyalty and honour mm-hmm. kick. So anything that he does in the film is what he believes to be a loyal to the person who he's serving and b honorable and that actually means that he ends up on different sides as the Mm -hmm. film goes on and that's quite interesting because it means whenever he turns up and starts shooting people with arrows you don't know who he's going to shoot with arrows whether he's going (laughs) to shoot the goodies or the baddies there is such a mystery element to this movie like right like there are all the cool action scenes along the way but the whole time you really are like it's this inter- like it does feel like Wolverine stumbled into this, you know, family drama that would have been happening mm. without him, and he's sort of this like weird <laughs> yeah, wild card completely. in it. But he's not really yeah. the instigator of any of this. He just is sort of like observing a lot of it, and you're like, "Ooh, what's this relationship? Ooh, who is this person working for?" And I think it's another reason that Viper doesn't really work. It's because it's like her motivation is just to be evil. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, she's really she's outside is, that entire microcosm. Yeah, yeah. and everybody else mm. is so nuanced in in what they're after, and even like. Yoshida, who turns out to be the villain, like his, you know, his quest for eternal life, like that has something interesting to it versus like, I'm evil. <laughs> I'm the evil <laughs> green lady. But I also completely distracted us from your point about how awesome the action in this movie is, which it very much is, including the bullet train sequence. Should we talk about that one? <laughs> I mean, that's for me, that's a bit where possibly even more than the samurai robot, it gets a bit too cartoonish. Does it? The bit where they're on the roofs. Up until then, I'm really enjoying it. Like, I love the bit where they sort of ambush him outside the toilet in a train. Because it's so such a small, like, setting for a fight to happen. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, normally action sequences are all like, we're in a warehouse or in, like, an iconic location. We're running through some back streets and it's like, no, he's just, he comes out of the toilet and we're all standing there. <laughs> I, I did find, and this might be a consequence of, uh, because of watching the extended edition, and I don't know specifically where the differences were, I, I do remember finding that I think around about the time of the funeral scene went on quite a long time. Um, it was like there was a lot going on, but it sort of also seems to go on for quite a while. And it felt to me like 
if that was where any of the added minutes were, quite a lot of the added minutes were probably in that sequence um, because it, t- it did seem to take them quite a while to get out of that. It's weird, actually, because this was one of the things I remember thinking about this film is like, oh, actually, the action sort of drags. Um, and I remember watching it in the cinema being like, yeah, we get it. And the, f- the fight is happening. Mm. OK, but I don't know if it's maybe a result of the stuff that they've left in, making it a bit more coherent. Or, you know, maybe some of the extra story beats mean it stitches together slightly better. But I I was not bored at all, even though it was longer during the fight se- sequences and when I was rewatching it. And I was surprised to learn that it's possible to add time to a superhero movie that is already very long and make it seem less <laughs> like it's dragging. I mean, it is it is a long one. I mean, it's it, it's two hours before the extended, mm-hmm. and it's it's a, there's about twelve minutes added in the extended version. But yeah, it's I I wouldn't say it it flies by and feels short. I think it I think it does feel like its length. But as you say, yeah, it 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 doesn't usually feel like it's dragging at any point. Uh, I think I think because it's moving around a lot it does kind of earn the length. You know, it, it goes to a lot of places and, and does a lot of different things. I think probably could you lose a bit of the time in the middle with, you know, your, your standard Wolverine thing of, oh, he's, well, it's also your standard Magneto thing of, oh, he's happy and relaxed for a little while before <laughs> someone comes in and screws it all up. Um, <laughs> Magneto's bookshop burning down. Um, but yeah, I, I think, yeah, it's it's sort of, it's it, it's definitely long but not tiresome. Um, I mean, James, have you have you got an idea of other other than action scenes? Um, do you know what's because I I found I didn't remember a lot about my first viewing of this film when I watched it again. There were a few specific moments that I remembered, but a lot of it hadn't stuck with me. So I don't know what was different in the extended one. But are you aware of particular kind of plot or or you know non action scenes that? That are enhanced. Uh, by there aren't the there edition. aren't many l- bits that are explicitly adding story points. What there are, are bits that sort of there are a couple of extra conversations that illuminate the story points a bit more explicitly. So it's mostly characters being a bit more obvious about what they want and why, which I think you can absolutely lose them. But also with those conversations in there, it keeps in mind keeps in your mind why these characters are doing the things they're doing. I wish I had some specific examples, but then that's just what I remember from, from rewatching it. Well, I watched the theatrical, so why don't you guys describe every single thing that happened in your version and I'll let you know if it happened in my version <laughs> or not. You know, the only, the only thing that I know um, that I specifically noticed when I was watching it that wasn't in the theatrical cut is a moment where after he arrives in Japan, someone brings him some of those like woodblock sandals and he complains that they're too small. Oh, that was a fun little bit. Yeah, <laughs> that, that wasn't in the theatrical cut. I really like the, um, the, uh, well, I'm sad I missed that, but I really like the scene where they're like bathing him. Like it's a, it's like a really funny <laughs> yeah. Jackman physical comedy that I feel like he doesn't yeah. always get to use as Logan. <laughs> mm. It's like a real goofy <laughs> That's one of the things I was going to say about this film, actually, is that compared specifically to both Logan and Wolverine Origins, X-Men Origin Wolverine, sorry, to give it its official <laughs> title, um, this feels like the most complete version of Wolverine in that you get, mm. like, you get almost every version, like, you get the Berserker Rage version, you get the Depressed Morose version, you get the sort of petulant, whiny version, you get the, like, 
jokey sarcastic version you get the i need to save every single person in the world like hero (laughs) complex version exactly like you get all these different versions of wolverine it's like a really complete character study and hugh jackman you know gives it his all for every every type i mean we we've been frequently i think fulsome in our praise of of hugh jackman throughout all of the x-men films that we talked about and even even the bad ones like he he's never the problem um and i i do think that this is a film that like you know even if you were going to say again that like logan is probably his best performance because he's doing something a bit different but yeah i mean absolutely it's absolutely true that i think yeah this is him being the most kind of complete and wolverine and i think this is a film that benefits so much from the fact that at this point hugh jackman's wolverine is so firmly established and is 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 a, a character and an actor playing that character that you can just completely rely on you're completely sure of him mm-hmm. there's no question mark over who he is or even really over what he's going to do in a given situation and there's also never a question mark with this version of Wolverine that Hugh Jackman will be playing it completely committedly and wholeheartedly and you, you you just you just completely buy him and this is a film that needs because of the way that he is kind of at the center it kind of it needs him to be like that um and yeah so it just you know i i, I I'm not saying that it you know wouldn't necessarily be a good film if this this was like the first ever Wolverine film but it absolutely I think is better because it comes at this point it's just it's just safe knowing that he's there at the center of this film you know I completely mm-hmm. agree I think that really adds to the feeling of it being like such a satisfying one off too it's because we don't need to like he has an arc Logan has an arc throughout this film but like you're saying, he is really settled in his character. So we can like immediately invest in like, okay, what's going on with this company? And like, how does Mariko fit in? And oh, here's her ex-boyfriend. And like all these details of this world that I think you wouldn't get if we had to establish so much about Wolverine. And it is really satisfying. Mm. Like the part where he he saves Mariko from the attack at the funeral. And then he follows her onto the train when she's trying to go alone. And it's like, oh, yeah, of course, this is what Wolverine would do. Like, he just, like, Mm. loves saving people. And the train setting, like, almost feels like a callback to when he finds Rogue in the first one. It's like, yeah, of course, (laughs) Wolverine just spends his days traveling the world, saving women on trains in a, like, endearing and non-patriarchal way. Like, it's very sweet. And it just, yeah, it's, like, very satisfying. I think it's a reason why I don't, I actually don't mind the Logan Mariko love story like I I don't the the few times the film tries to sell it as like they're genuinely in love I don't buy that but like two attractive people hooking up also feels like yeah that's what Wolverine would do on his off time I'm glad it, <laughs> it ends with him you know leaving like it feels like yeah he had like this fling that to, and that also brings out like another side of his personality like here's the soft sensitive you know tragic side as well so yeah yeah I completely agree that, that this movie does so well by all aspects of his character is it sort of i mean would you go so far as to say it's it's the best jackman wolverine um i don't know i still really like those first two movies so much but it's certainly up there Hmm. i mean he's he's doing such a different thing in the first two isn't it because in the first two it's here's this guy who we've dropped into these films like a bomb kind of thing um rather than i mean the second one kind of does center around him a bit more but yeah. I like that it's dealing with him, right? Like it's all hinging around this question of does he want to die? 
at some point in life because he's sort of stuck with immortality. And that's the same thing that Logan mm. was dealing with, but Logan is far more heavy handed with it. And I like the the middle ground that this movie strikes of like, he's dealing with this. It's hard. There's not really an answer and he's grappling with it, but that's not the point of the movie. And I like that balance a lot more. I'm not the biggest fan of Logan. And I think that one gets a little bit indulgent and it's like, Hmm. emotional pain and this one i think strikes a more interesting balance that almost feels more impactful because it is more restrained it's a little bit more pragmatic isn't it like yeah you know we can talk about these big themes of mortality but also you actually have to live your life as well you're not yeah. just on the run from you know the evil people who are trying to kill you or whatever like there's complex stuff going on as well as hey do you actually want to be here or not also he freaking slices his chest open <laughs> grabs his heart <laughs> and pulls a spider thing like there are crazy things that happen in this movie like he is holding his I, heart I, in his hand while yukio is having a samurai <laughs> battle around him but it doesn't feel comic booky somehow I, I like the way that i mean obviously partly because it uses it as a plot device but i do like the way this movie hinges a lot of stuff around the healing factor um because you know it's 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 easy to just fall back on it as a oh it's just a thing that that wolverine has and it just means that he can have these fights and then heal and it's often a lot of the time you'll just kind of they'll just forget that it's there and they won't even really make use of it and i I like that because the plot hinges around it they show you much more what that actually means for him in reality um and yeah that sequence with him pulling the thing off his heart where it's like you know he can only do this because if he gets it off he'll heal afterwards so if he doesn't get it off he will die because he's just horrendously injured himself by cutting his chest open and i like um when he's having the fight with um uh the the younger yashida shingen yashida um and Yoshida doesn't know that he's got his healing factor back at that point. Mm-hmm. So the way that he fights, he's relying on Logan not having his healing factor. So the fact that Logan does is a surprise to him and changes the way that the fights go in. That's kind of nicely used as well. I do. I love that as a moment, like where he, uh, what does he do? He like cuts across Wolverine and like turns around as if expecting him to sort of be disemboweled. Yeah. But actually he's <laughs> just fine. And there's that bit later on where he like stabs him fully in the chest and Wolverine's just like, what do you think is going to happen here? <laughs> like it just doesn't, almost doesn't register. He's just like, well, yeah, but I'm Wolverine. So this isn't a problem. <laughs> that fight is so good. That's also a character that I think deals with the sort of like trauma theme of this movie because you get the sense, like there's that really compelling moment where Wolverine's like, you tried to kill your daughter. Like, I'm just going to leave you to live with that. And it's like, because... Yoshida, the older Yoshida, like was living with this trauma and had this whole weird plan to pass this on to his granddaughter to screw her over. Then that messed up his son, who then tried to kill his daughter. Like it's this weird like cycle of trauma Mm -hmm. that then also, you know, Wolverine is experiencing over Gene. Like, I don't know. Again, there's like such cool, meaty stuff that you can dig into here that the movie then doesn't quite do, but you can kind of do the work yourself. And I just find it so satisfying. Oh, I also love when he... (laughs) throws that guy he throws mariko's terrible fiance out the window <laughs> and yukio's like how did you know yeah. the pool was there and he's like i didn't like what a great little wolverine one-liner <laughs> i mean that's, that's what i mean that, no 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 yeah. i mean that's what i mean by saying like he gets to be every version of wolverine because mm-hmm. like in that there aren't many sort of action heroes who could get away with a straight up murdering someone in cold blood when they said they would not <laughs> and yet in that moment that's what he's done and it turns out 
oh no, he lived, but it was more an accident than anything. And you're sort of like, well, yeah, that is Wolverine. Speaking of of versions of Wolverine, I like that we get a moment where Wolverine puts a cigar in his mouth just before (laughs) he sets off an explosion that he knows will light his cigar (laughs) in the process. That might be from the extended version. (laughs) What scene is that in? Uh, it's it's so when when they're fighting all the ninjas um near the end and because it's where it's again it's a bit i was saying to james i did, couldn't remember if this was in the original because there's quite a bloody bit where uh yukio uh runs over one of them with a thresher thing and he gets yeah it's like an ice thresher thing yeah snowplow or um, something. but the way that he defeats them all is blowing up the vehicle that he's standing on top of but he stand, he he takes out a cigar puts it in his mouth blows up the machine and blows them all up and it lights his cigar in the process i'm pretty sure that must be the extended edition or i really zoned out while i was watching the theatrical <laughs> cut but now this is good this is motivation for me to watch that version because that sounds incredible yeah it is it's a funny little moment yeah god th- yeah. i just love this movie and I will say the bullet train action sequence, I feel like the first time I watched this, I thought it was a little too much. But then this time around, I was like, oh, no, this is this is just right. <laughs> exactly the right amount. Yeah. The little moment where because I mean, it is really silly. They just have to do this like jumping maneuver whenever sort of a something is. Yeah, whenever the low signs are coming. How am I describing this? The train is going and there's, a little, you know, signs that are that they're passing under and then in order to kill the guy he like does a fake jump that makes the guy yeah. jump and it smashes him like it's so goofy but i don't know that's like towing the line but staying on the right side of it so i appreciate well, i like scene. the thing i like in any action sequence is when they can like it's not just the strongest puncher wins it's when someone outsmarts the other person like that's when it becomes interesting and sort of character focused right yeah and that's it's a fun little moment of wolverine outsmarting his opponent and also i love the scene where he has all the arrows shot into him like talk about a cool visual. yeah it's a great image isn't it yeah and you have a uh, mariko watching from the tower and she can like see him against the snow it's a really yeah. like surprisingly beautiful yeah moment, really beautiful considering what's going on this movie also made me realize and maybe this could be a segue too just to talk about like the setting you know, in general more, but how much this goes into like utilizing Japan as a location, like it feels so much more alive and present than say like when the Avengers go to wherever, you know what I mean? They'll go to like Czechoslovakia and yeah. it's like, oh, I don't know, this looks as generic as anywhere <laughs> or else. indeed when the Avengers go to Tokyo. Yeah, but this feels more specific, more specific in terms of like, oh, here's a snowy location that we can use in an interesting way. It feels more thoughtful about that kind of stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. And it just made me realize, like, oh, why are so many comic book movies, they feel so samey? And this one feels so unique. And some of that's the setting. Some of that's the characters that the setting unlocks. But I don't know. This just feels so different than any other comic book movie I can think of. And it just made me realize, like, how much more these movies could be doing (laughs) in terms of being different. Yeah, again, I think you sort of have to look to the Bond movies, which have that thing of, like, when you're in a different location in a Bond movie, you know you're in a different yeah. location. Like, they, they do their best to make it interesting and unusual. And it's not just like, you know, we're in another generic city with a lot of office blocks. The only, the one that comes closest, closest, the one that this is closest to is probably Black Panther for me. That's how I that. was feeling too. And that obviously yeah. is, is different because it's creating a world, like a fictional mm-hmm. world. But it does feel, in terms of how much thought and care was put into the world building, I also feel like this was making me think of that. Also, this is a movie, like, yes, this is a movie about a white guy, but Hugh Jackman is pretty much the only white man in this entire film. You know, like the yeah, next couple yeah, leads are, mm. the next two leads are two Japanese women, then two white women, 
and then a cast of Japanese, and I think some of the actors are Korean as well. And it's like, yeah, this is not what we're used to seeing. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel performative about that. It doesn't feel like, oh, we're, you know, we're using this as a cheap sort of marketing tactic or something. It was like, we want to explore this world, and this is naturally what this world would be like. And I don't know. I just think it's, this movie is really cool and unique and deserves way more credit for all the the stuff that it does. It is, it's strange, isn't it, that it didn't get more attention? I don't know. I mean, because... I feel like I'm guilty of not giving it its dues when it came out as well, because I remember thinking it was a sort of okay movie, and actually on revisiting it, I like it a lot more than I expected to. But it ma- it makes me wonder, like, what was the context that made us all dismiss it in the first instance that we've now come to it and gone, oh, actually? Uh, to be honest, it probably is X-Men Origins Wolverine. Like, I think it's impossible to overstate for so long how much that movie was just a punchline for... <laughs> the worst of what things could do and it's like coming off the context of that the idea of another wolverine solo movie is just like the worst thing you could think of but i think like you yeah. said earlier seb like retroactively coming from logan it's like oh of course this is good mm. you know like it really shifts how you think of what a wolverine solo film can do mm. yeah and i said i think it is just that thing of we, we i think it was looked at at the time as well this could have been doing something interesting but it fell into standard comic book fight at the end. I think I think now it is, I don't know why, but it is easier to appreciate what it was doing and just kind of overlook the mm-hmm. fact that it slips into that idea. Because actually, it's not even really for that long. I remember at the time yeah. it was talked about <laughs> as being the whole third act. It's really yeah. not. It's about yeah, 10 minutes. I think, minutes I think maybe if you don't know it's coming, it's just so at odds with the tone of the rest of the film, mm. it just overshadows it. And when you're prepared for it, you're paying a bit more attention to everything else that's happening. It also sucks that it's right at the mm. end. If this was like, oh, there was a weird comic booky part in the middle, I think it'd be easy to forget about. But because it's sort of the last thing you're left yeah. with, it really sticks with you. Yeah, absolutely. But I agree, it's really only like mm. 10 minutes. And there's cool stuff within that. You know, like the arrow part come where he gets all the arrow shot is sort of the lead up into that. And <laughs> The thing I do like about that scene is that he's he's like running through the village trying to get to like the giant fort tower thing. <laughs> They fire a bunch of arrows into him, finally stop him, and then take him exactly yeah. where he was trying to go. <laughs> You're like, Is, was that the smartest move? Okay. Could just let him go there. I also love the part where, like, Mariko stabs her grandfather, and she's just like, no, my grandfather died. <laughs> like, the way she says that yeah. is incredible. Yeah. And that actress, I, I believe this was her first film. I think she's actually really good. I think Mariko is like an interesting... An interesting character who's not quite just the love interest, but also not just the, like, quippy badass. Like, she lives in an interesting middle ground. And that moment of her stabbing him is, like, the pinnacle. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, Tao Akamoto, that actress, apparently she played Mercy Graves in Batman v Superman. Mercy Graves is a long-standing character from the animated series who's basically, like, Lex Luthor's um, kind of bodyguard slash assistant slash, um, you know, Lex Luthor's kind of Alfred, basically. Yeah, there was a version of Mercy Graves on Supergirl, actually. Yeah. Um, I could not have told you that Mercy Graves was in that movie. Nor could I. <laughs> um, but there you go. Uh, wow, the Supergirl version is played by Rona Mitra, former <laughs> Lara Croft Rona Mitra. Yeah, they kind of wasted her. She was an interesting, interesting idea, and then they just kind of like got rid of her for no reason yeah that's a shame uh, um 
just and I looked it up by the way. Yeah, that entire snowblower scene is only in the extended edition and was actually talked about at the time as here's the really cool scene that's mm. been added for the extended okay. edition. So I, I very much recommend Great. Caroline that you go and watch that because it's a really good scene. I honestly, we'll probably yeah. do that right as we're done <laughs> finish recording. I, th- I think I think maybe like genuinely probably one of the reasons why on this viewing the film came out better than first time was because it had that sequence <laughs> in it. So I'm excited. Um, yeah, maybe they should have left that in first. Should time we real quick talk about him getting his claws cut off? Because I feel like that is uh, yes. a big part Actually, of this. Actually, again, you you're doing so well at preempting all the things I was going to say because uh, when you said about um, you know there there are good things in in that fight sequence. Also, in that fight sequence, you get Logan having his metal claws cut off, which then grow back into bone claws, which then grow back miraculously <laughs> into metal claws by the time of Days of Future. <laughs> oh boy. Um, but yes, please do. I don't know. I don't, I don't even know how I feel about it, but it certainly is a moment, you know? Like, you, I did not expect that the first time. Oh, yeah, I, I, I like it. I, I like that it's... Because I think it's it's so easy to, you know, fall back on adamantium is the unbreakable part of Wolverine. So um, maybe it's a cheap cop-out to just introduce a character that has some adamantium that can destroy him. But it's a... You know, in, I mean, going back into comics, it's a... It's a rare and big deal. Uh, James will remember, and I remember it from the time as well, because I think my dad actually picked up the issues where it happened. Um, The Fatal Attraction storyline in the early 90s, um, where Magneto ripped out um, Wolverine's adamantium skeleton, and then it grows back, and he grows bone claws, and it was like, this had never happened. I think at that point in the comic, because we hadn't had origin, I don't think it was even known that Wolverine would have had bone claws if his metal claws grew back it was a yeah no it absolutely was not it was a huge deal when he like yeah. unleashed his bone claws and everyone was like wait what the hell's going on here yeah so that's a that's a really nice nod to that i in fact again i i really love that moment where having had his claws cut off like he he regrows them just in time as bone to to kill um yoshida to kill, kill yoshida yeah like it's a as a comics nerd like a wolverine with bone claws is something i really enjoy seeing and the fact that wolverine origins screwed it up so much i feel like they they got their due in this film Mm -hmm. it is shocking when they get cut off like it really feels like you know you feel the weight of that happening yeah well it's like in um star trek beyond when they blow up the enterprise and you're sitting there going how how dare they because it is one of those things where you know and i guess you know logan is the is the example of this actually happening. But like, you know, in this movie, it's not going to end with Logan dying, but the cutting off his claws is a way to make it feel like, Oh, this was a high stakes. You know, there was a big shift that happened here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> it it's happen. a shift that is undone off screen. Do you know what I was realizing? Cause I actually really like the post credit scene where he's at the airport and air control. Oh, it was very exciting him. at the time. If you just <laughs> yeah. had within that scene, if you just had that scene be like, you know, Charles is like, we need you, we'll need your help. And Eric is just like, and we'll need to fix those claws. Like if he had just dropped that line, mm-hmm. you just immediately would have been like, okay, Magneto with his metal powers fixed this off screen. But their refusal yep. to even have a dropped line about it is one of the most bizarre choices that I guess Days of Future Past makes. Or they could have done it in this post credit scene. Yeah, they could have done it in Days of Future Past or they 
could have done it here. And the fact that they didn't is part of Fox's general attitude of like, oh, every X-Men movie matters, but also none of them yeah, matter. Yeah, it's so bizarre. Just have Magneto say like, we'll take care of that. Or, oh, I'm glad we were able to take care of that. And you yeah. would just never question it. I mean, this this movie sort of does that when in the post credit scene, you're like, how is Professor yeah. Xavier alive again? <laughs> and he's just like, you're not the only one with secrets. You're like... Yeah, but seriously, like, how? how? True, you just need to acknowledge it, and then the audience will go with it. Because yeah. that is, yes, how is he alive? That also benefits from the, it's been, whatever, six years since that movie came out, and we all kind of <laughs> Yeah, you've forgotten forgot he died at all, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it is a it is a fun post-credit sequence in that, you know, it does, it drops the Trask name, which tells you what's coming next, and that's Sentinels. Mm-hmm. And also, I, I, I just, I always like the sort of, the playfulness of the, of McKellen's Magneto and Jackman's Wolverine, like that antagonistic, but quite fun relationship, uh, which to me goes all the way back to the, that whoever said I wanted you, mm-hmm. that scene on the train in the first mm-hmm. film. Um, and yeah, for it, for it to be kind of Magneto who comes to him first, and he's like, well, yeah, of course you don't trust me. And then Xavier turns up, it's like, yeah. It's <laughs> they do kind of feel like made for each other, because right, it's the man of metal and the man that controls metal. It's like, yeah, of course they would have a natural yeah. little dynamic going on there. Mm. Yep. The films have denied us having a scene where Magneto completely rips out Wolverine's skeleton. Honestly, maybe, maybe for the better. That maybe, sounds horrible. Maybe in the MCU. <laughs> Uh, it's a great that whole story is amazing yeah like that's properly like the apex of 90s x-men comics i was gonna say it's it's 90s comics at their most 90s i've said it before but it's like so the whole storyline is so like operatic and like bold it's like you're reading sort of myths in their like in the original telling of them. Well, let's 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 say then actually that to to swing it onto unless there is anything else that you guys want to say about the film, but you can come back and say it if there is. But let's let's quickly do those as recommendations. I think that I think if you do want to read something that informs this film, this really is a film where you can go back to mm-hmm. comics and read things that have heavily inspired it. And that 1982 miniseries, the Wolverine miniseries by Chris Claremont and Frank Miller. Um, so much of that feeds into this film, it's sometimes in different ways. But I but, would say most you know. of the characters are in there. I forget actually whether Yukio's in it or not, or whether Yukio was a later addition to Wolverine sort of stable of characters. Uh, no, she first she appears in issue there two. You go, so she is. That's her first appearances in Wolverine two. So uh, yeah, I mean she she became more prominent I think in later on Wolverine stuff, mm-hmm. didn't she? But uh, yeah, no, she is in there. Um, but also yes, if you want to read a story about Wolverine getting bone claws, then the Fatal Attraction storyline. James, can you off the top of your head say what issues of X-Men and various Ooh, titles Fatal I can Attractions tell you it's Uncanny in. X-Men 304 and X-Men 25 uh, and Wolverine 75. I can't do the X-Factor 92. Oh, you've, you, you have done really well there. Part, part one is X-Factor 92. Yeah. Part two is X-Force. Same number as X-Men. Yeah. 25. Uncanny X-Men 304, X-Men 25, Wolverine 75, and Excalibur 71. Yeah, did pretty well. I don't know if the Excalibur one is a a proper part of the story. (laughs) I was going to say, I'm impressed. I I don't know how you remember all the things that you remember. (laughs) Because he's an X-Men. The Excalibur one is a real, like, coda that barely references the rest of the story. So Yeah. Whereas the Wolverine one is literally that's when the bone. The way, pop, yeah, the way to remember it is they're the ones that have holograms on the cover. Yeah, I remember those yep. holograms. 
which I still had them. I would say I bet they're valuable now, but it was the early nineties. Yeah, there were tons of them. Far too many copies will have been pick printed. them up cheap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Might go looking for them. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think I'd say. I mean, I, I don't know if there's anything else that you guys specifically wanted to pick up on before we sort of give final word on I the film. I guess just to really say, because I said at the beginning how much I love Yukio, but I just love her so much. <laughs> I think she's so great. I think it taps into that. Um, that thing of how well Wolverine always works with teenage girls for some reason. And she might, I think she's supposed to be slightly older than a teenager, but it's like the same kind of dynamic of like this fascinating sense of equality they have and like great little details. Like when Mm. he, you know, in some ways she's so competent and such a badass, but then he gets into her car and it's just like such a mess. And it's like, Oh, that's such a great little character (laughs) detail that rounds her out. Um, and just the the final little scene of them on the plane and her saying that she's his bodyguard. It's just like, oh, it's so perfect. And that's why it's such a shame that it that you, that you don't get any more after that. Um, no, but just on that thing of that, yeah, that's something about that that thing with Wolverine and younger female characters. And it's true in the comics as well. And it's kind of, I know obviously Logan leans into it as a kind of mm-hmm. father thing, but I'm, I'm not even sure it's that. And it's not even really kind of brotherly. It's sort of a, it's like, it's accidental adoptive foster father situation that he ends up in um and i don't know what it is and i wonder if any look if anyone has like interrogated this or or written stuff on this why does this character and this character archetype work so well with this other type of character um but it really does and yeah it's really funny and i think but but here it comes from a slightly different place because the way that she comes into the film is he's the kind of tired mm-hmm. old man and she basically comes in and kicks him up the arse and yeah it's 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 so much fun um and it is really a shame that we haven't had more films can i i can it. quickly give you a theory as to that go on then wolverine tends to be seen as like a father and mentor figure but i think the crucial part of his character is that he tends to treat those characters as equals yeah. as well like he never, mm. he never like subverts their agency. You know, he might say, "You're not coming with me," and they'll say, "I am coming with you," and he'll go, "Your funeral," yeah, and let them come. Like he mm. doesn't, you know, knock them out and change them to a radiator or something. I mean, you you described him earlier, Caroline, as as non patriarchal. Yeah. Exactly that. That's a good way yeah. to describe Wolverine. Wolverine absolutely uh, is does not get on with the patriarchy in in any of its Which forms. Which is great because he feels like, like if you just look at the character, you're like, oh, this would be the exact example of that. And it's the opposite. And it's so satisfying. And I, I grew up watching the 90s cartoon as well, but I think Jackman's Wolverine, you know, that's like really what's solidified in my mind. And it really is just like, I don't know. Like you guys said earlier, it's like impossible to overpraise how good he is at this stuff. But he just brings mm. such like a core of niceness to this character who on the surface is the opposite of that <laughs> in every way. You know, and he's he just wants to be alone and be grumpy. But then he's like, oh, no, a young woman in need. I will very kindly treat her as my equal and also protect her <laughs> while respecting her. And it's just so wonderful to watch that dynamic. It is sort of there's there's a um, it would have been so easy when first casting Wolverine to only look for someone who could do the snarling, angry version of Wolverine. And instead, you get Hugh Jackman, who really does have this combination of, you know, he's a guy who comes from a musical theatre background, um, you know, and he's done several musical movies. He has got a softness to him while being 
hard and masculine at the same time. And that's really rare, um, but it means that he can play this version of Wolverine that has this kind of likable vulnerability at the same time as it's not like you don't buy him as strong, powerful, angry Wolverine, because you absolutely do. But he just has got that approachable softness to him as well. It's also, it's also why he made such a good Jean Valjean as <laughs> <Yeah>. well. <laughs> it's so interesting to put him into this like fish out of water scenario too, where the like it's sort of a different culture than he's used to. Also, just like a very different economic situation than he's used to. You know, <laughs> you don't really think like Wolverine and the one percent are just hanging out in <laughs> fancy penthouses or whatever. And it's just like interesting to see how he adjusts to that scenario. I think that, again, makes it more interesting. Like, Logan leans into... Logan, the movie, leans into the grumpy snarliness more because it's just sort of like a Wild West of a world. And this is, this is like, oh, here's an entirely different scenario. Let's see how he responds there. So I guess my final thoughts on this movie are that it's incredible and better than Logan and everyone should watch it <laughs> again. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd need to rewatch Logan, but I'm, I feel like I'm leaning towards agreeing. Yay. <laughs> Where would you put it in the overall scheme of the X-Men Ooh, that's, films? That's then? an interesting question. Say, I, I mentioned I felt it's top half, but I think you'd put it even top half of top half. I think I would do... I think I might have ranked this at one point, but I think I would do X2, X1, Days of Future Past, The Wolverine. Uh, mine, I, think, I think mine is the same, except with First Class and Days of Future Past swapped. Yeah. yeah. I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean keeping deadpool out of it because i don't even though oh, they're yeah, technically yeah, yeah. Part Definitely. Of the series i don't think they count um i th- i think uh, is it x2 or first class top i love first class so much i think i think first class maybe does just edge out x2 um and then i think do i would i even say it's maybe this i think next. it's top four for all of us at least then right yeah it's not a bad showing yeah. for a film we all thought we weren't going to enjoy <laughs> I, yeah, and I think it's just like even even going in, I was like, oh, I remember liking this one, and rewatching, it, I was like, I like it even more than I remember. <laughs> like, I think it's easy to forget how good it is, mm. even if you think it's good, it's better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I think I think it's very sure in in what it's doing. I say even when it does kind of falter a bit, like with the samurai or with kind of maybe not fully committing to to some of the the thematic stuff. I think it's it is generally it it's it's very sure-footed in what it's doing and i think when it first came out i was it that maybe wasn't necessarily what i was that bothered about seeing from a wolverine film at that point in time and that's i think part of the reason why i think it's easier to appreciate now as kind of part of the overall mix it it does make Um, me mourn the sort of wolverine movies we didn't get mm -hmm. yeah but yeah all things considered if yeah i mean I don't know how often people listen to these having not watched or having not recently watched the films that we're talking about, but if you've listened to this having like watched this back when it came out in 2013 and not since, I think the takeaway is absolutely go and give it another look. I think it's I think it was a really pleasant surprise going back to it. And also the takeaway is Hugh Jackman is wonderful and we don't deserve him <laughs> and we should all go try to see him on his like crazy world tour vaudeville performance thing he's doing right now which i'm really mad i didn't amazingly (laughs) we still haven't finished with him on this podcast i don't know if we've i can't remember we'll have to get joe to check if we've hall of famed him yet and i think maybe we're waiting for the last film which i think is going to be it is going to be days of future past is going to be the last time 
we have uh we cover a Hugh Jackman Wolverine film on this podcast and I think we'll we'll owe him a proper and fulsome celebration as if we haven't given him enough of one already <laughs> um because genuinely yeah it is like it's it's one of the great achievements in this genre is his playing of that character yeah. over a period of nearly 20 years and nine films I mean all you can say is good luck to Kevin Feige in replacing this guy <laughs> truly oh god yeah there is there is a part of me that's starting to see how um uh, it could be Taron Egerton Taron Egerton mm. is kind of like a mini Hugh Jackman, mm. and after, I, weirdly, it's after Rocket Man that yeah, I've actually looked at him and gone, mm, "I can kind of see that." Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, um, one Eddie the yes. Eagle to another. <laughs> well, whatever. exactly. Yeah, exactly. He's already he's already been trained yeah. by him. You know, <laughs> what, what more do you need? <laughs> so yes, that that was the the um, surprisingly, if you're not Caroline, really good the Wolverine. Um, on now then to our final section, uh, James. Apparently, you've got another game. I for do. Us, I've got so a really let's let's hear a your, really good game. Your, uh, spurious uh, pastiche of some kind of game. Show. <laughs> this one's entirely original, I think. Okay. <laughs> um. So this one, I, I've called the game Dictionary Cloner. Yep. I thought you'd enjoy that, Seb. Caroline won't know what dictionary corner is. James, <laughs> expl- explain countdown in thirty. Seconds. <laughs> You're going to do the music while I do it. <laughs> I'm going to. I'm, I'm going to get it edited on. Yes. Uh, so countdown is a long-running UK game show where you're given uh, nine letters. Nine? Yeah. You're given or oh, eight. You're given a set of letters and you have to make longer words out of them within a thirty-second time limit. Um, Great. They will check with dictionary corner whether the words you have created are valid or not because in some cases they're not got it right um damn it that was that was less than 30 seconds because i was only about now gonna go did it did it did it boom <laughs> that's how the countdown is now you ha- yeah i was gonna say now you have to explain that to caroline yeah um okay so seb for this i'm gonna need you at one point to remove your headphones and leave the room or at least How stop will, listening. Oh my gosh. How will I know when to come back? <laughs> you haven't thought about this, have you? Well, I I will say, go away for two minutes and we'll edit it down into something nice and uh, legible. Basically, I need you to go into an isolation booth. And we don't have an isolation booth <laughs> because the right. Patreon does not yet stretch to it. I'm going to mute my PC speaker and you can WhatsApp me when it's time to come back. Sounds good. There. Let me load up WhatsApp. Okay. Are you gone or are you going? Uh, I'm going, I wanted to confirm that you had WhatsApp up before I went. Yep. So I have WhatsApp. Right. right. So I've what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask Caroline five questions. I'm going to ask you the same five questions. I'm not going to tell you what those questions are about until you get back so that you can't even go away and look it up. Are you gone now? I hope that this game is actually just now you and me gossip about Seb. This is just <laughs> an excuse to get him <laughs> to leave. <laughs> okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you, I don't know if you've noticed in this in this movie, there are a lot of cases where someone said a Japanese word and then immediately explained what that word meant in sure. English. Um, it actually happens twice with one of them, but I'm going to give you the five words in which this happens in Japanese okay. n- to test how well you're watching the film. You have to Uh-oh. tell me the meaning I'm of gonna it. I'm going to guess not very well. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to start with the easiest one. Great. Yakuza. Japanese gangsters, mafia. And that's quite close. I'm going to give you half a point. 
Because what they actually, actual thing? Well, what they actually define it as in this movie is Japanese mob. Okay. Are these not synonyms? <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't worry, I'm going to be this harsh on Seb as well. Um, Great. So this is the one they do twice. Uh, I think Shingen does it and then Wolverine does it. Mm-hmm. Ronin. A samurai without a master. That is note perfect. Yes. I okay. was paying attention. Yep. <laughs> there are three more to go. Oh, God. Uh, Shiruba. Ooh. <laughs> Do I get context clues? <laughs> uh, Shiruba is... This would also be helpful if I were just knowledgeable about Japanese culture. It, it may have been said more like Shiruba. Honestly, I think the pronunciation is not my <laughs> concern here. Um, that would be the sisterhood between Yukio and Mariko. <laughs> That's a nice guess, but it's actually it actually means silver. Oh, or at least okay. the context in which they use it, they say Shiroba Samurai. Okay. Um, okay, so you've got one and a half points so far, two more to go. Um, Danzan. Uh, <laughs> the problem is that there's just not a lot of context for me to even make a guess on. <laughs> okay, that so be... I'll give you a little bit of context. Yeah, give me a little hint. This is the name of the sword. The word that you, what was, what's the word again? Danzen. That's the name of the sword? Yep. So is the answer just a samurai sword? Nope, the answer, Danzen means separator. As oh, it, I believe yes, Yukio of course, explains. Of course, yes, yep. separates the heads from the bodies there and then she go. uses it with the bottles <laughs> and the chair. Okay, I remember I remember now. Okay, and this is probably the most frequently used Japanese word in the entire film. Uh-huh. Kazuri. Um... <laughs> you know, I think I really peaked at Ronin in this game. <laughs> this is okay. Uh, oh no, 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 no. Of course, of course. This is the what was I thinking? This is the animal that is in your room at night that protects you. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you that. I believe well, the direct what was it actually? The direct translation I think is monster. Um, yes. But that's what they call Wolverine. Yes, of course. So, yes. Yeah, okay, gonna, that I did remember. I'm gonna that give you two and a half points blip. for that. Great, I'll take them. <laughs> right, so we'll get Seb back out of the isolation booth. Hello. Hello. Okay, so I'm going to give you exactly the same five questions. With... Do I get to listen in now? Yeah, I'm yeah, you don't need to go into the isolation great. booth. This is, do you know what this is like? This is, this is like Family Fortunes. And do you know who the original host of Family Fortunes was? <laughs> Bob Mankas. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Um, kind of like fam- oh, Family Bob, Fortunes is the UK Bobby. version of Family Feud. Um, yeah. <laughs> And it's what Bob Monkhouse presented. Anyway. Okay, I'm going to give you the same uh, five questions that I just gave to Caroline. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the Japanese words that are defined within this movie in dialogue. And you have to tell me what the definition is of each of them. Okay. So the first one, I'm going to start with a very easy one. Yakuza. The Japanese mob. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I said mafia, and I, you only gave me half a point. Oh. <laughs> I'm a cruel game show host. Okay, so the next one, question two. This one is defined twice within the movie. Ronin. I mean, I feel like the answer's not just going to be ninja. Ninja warrior? No, Seb, come on. It's a samurai without a master. Samurai without a master, okay. Twice. Twice someone goes, you're a ronin, a samurai without a master. Okay. If you struggle on that one, I'll worry for the rest of this, to be honest. But Okay. Um, third one. Shiroba. Um, 
like personal physician. <laughs> if it's Viper. Regrettably, right. you're incorrect. Um, I got this one wrong too. It's silver, as in Shiraba Samurai. Uh, Bad news. Okay, you might get a little hint on this one if you need it. Um, Danzan. Give us the little hint. So the little hint is that this is the name of the sword. Does it mean two-handed? No, it means separator. Oh, I remember that line as well. Yep. Damn it. Okay. Okay, last one. This one, I think, is the most frequently used Japanese uh, name in the film. Kazuri. No, I've got no idea. No idea. No. None whatsoever. No. <laughs> this is the name that they give Wolverine throughout the entire film, Zeb. Oh, okay. Is it Wolverine? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it means monster, or as Caroline put it, the thing that stands in your room at <laughs> night and protects you. Little story that Marco's that Yoshida yeah. tells her. But Wolverine, Wolverine is Kazuri. Yeah. So there you go. It took me a minute to remember too. Even I don't know. It's just it's the high pressure game that you put together. James. <laughs> I just I felt like it was a really stupid recurring trope that I noticed throughout <laughs> happening a lot. So I, was I like, mean, now that you oh, said be it, fun. yes, I can see that. that Where yeah. people say things like, "Ah, this is Danzan. It means separator." Um. Anyway. Seb, you got one out of five. Caroline absolutely thrashed you with two and a half. Two. Oh, I thought, I was, I thought you were going to say two out of five. Two and a half is a pretty good score. Well done, yep. Caroline. But really, you know, the winners are everyone for learning some new vocab <laughs> I would say the, the winners are everyone who had to listen to you ask the same questions twice. Yeah, but, you know, the tension's there in, is Seb going to get these? And it turns out, no, no he's not. didn't get any of them, apart from the really obvious one. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, I'm, yeah, I'm super... Thanks for playing being... Dictionary Corner. Yes, Dictionary Corner. <laughs> I was under a very tight time frame for coming up with that pun. Uh, it's all right, I'm going to explain to Caroline after this what a bit, like, I'll try and find a clip of Countdown on YouTube to try and explain the lunacy. Also, you didn't explain that there's about, you know, the complexities of the maths round and picking the numbers and... I, I didn't lessons. feel it was relevant. You didn't feel you could fit it in 30 seconds. <laughs> um... Yes, let's let's stop talking about old game shows because I feel like we're doing that a bit too much, uh, or maybe not enough. <laughs> uh, thanks once again, Caroline, for coming on. Uh, if we haven't baffled you with our talk of British game shows, then we'll definitely baffle you with some more again <laughs> before this year is out. Uh, not sure what we'll do next, but it'll be something fun. Uh, probably not something that you'll like as much as this. Uh, I, I almost feel yeah. bad that it took I mean, us honestly, this long I'm just to get to it. I'm thrilled that I got some X-Men talk yes. in finally. After all these years, yes. it's finally <laughs> happened. <laughs> You've done it just as we've only got one more film to cover. Uh, yes, I got an Under the Wire. I think if we can sort of, yeah, if we can uh, decide when we feel that we can do a, a Brian Singer film again, then uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get on with Days of Future Past. Because um, it's pretty good. It is pretty good. Uh, but in the meantime, if you enjoyed this episode, you can find more and subscribe on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Player FM, Overcast, Google, or your podcast app of choice. You can find a full index of every episode at cinematicuniverse.com, along with all the subscription feed links and some features and reviews and such like. A uh, standard call, as ever, for ratings and reviews on your podcast platforms if you'd like to help us out. And if you'd really like to help us out, don't forget the Patreon at patreon.com slash cinematicuniverse, which helps out with our production costs and makes us feel validated 
appreciated. If you back us on there, you get to hear episodes ad-free and sometimes early, as well as bonus material. Thanks to Brendan Roberts for being a top backer and to someone simply called Ed for signing up since the last episode. You can buy our merchandise at cinematicu.redbubble.com, get in touch with us on Facebook, on Twitter at cine underscore verse, or with an email to the occasionally read editorial at cinematicuniverse.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Now I just remembered that terrible moment, that terrible one-liner where he says sayonara to him.